Story movie podcast for Unlocked. My name is Tom Chick. I'm here to discuss Unlocked with a couple of fellows, the first of whom is Christian Markansky. I would like to be known as Variant M. And with an Unlocked tagline, sometimes more than one, we could have as many as five Unlocked taglines. Kelly Wand. Rapaces best since Prometheus. You haven't seen Whatever Happened to Monday. Uh, is that a Prometheus spinoff? <laughs> Wait, is it What Happened to Monday or Whatever Happened? I might be giving the title too many syllables. All right, I Kelly like one first word. We'll talk about that in a moment. What <laughs> other taglines might Unlocked have? It's like Atomic Blonde, but with a cheaper soundtrack. <laughs> I feel like you could stop there and I'd be happy. Are there more? I only got one more. Yep. Uh, finally, a movie where Michael Douglas plays mind games with a lady. <laughs> <laughs> They're kind of all winners. Very nice. Yeah, one. I'm getting better at getting rid of the lame ones. Very nice. Which means sometimes they'll be zero to one. Soon you'll be doing the podcast all alone. Ugh, that sounds like a nightmare. I already feel alone enough with you guys. Well, Kelly Wan, guess what? You're not alone. You have me and Dingus, and Dingus is now going to tell the listeners a little bit about Unlocked without any spoilers. Dingus, what's the deal with this movie? Just the basics, spoiler-free. All right, this week we saw Unlocked. Mm. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Or if Shakespeare had been it would have been called Unlocked. Mm-hmm. A 2017 American thriller action drama movie. Hmm. About what happens when the writer of Halo Reach gets to do a feature film. <laughs> Wait a minute, what? What? I I'm like, really okay, so the, the screenwriter, I'm going to say, wow, Halo Reach, okay. Kelly Wan, did you play Halo Reach? Or is it just, am I the only one on this podcast who's played First it? First off, there's a Halo Reach? Yeah. It's, it's also one Halo. of the non-sucky ones. It's a good one. Halo Reach. Are, sure are you it sure the A is not a T? All right, go, please continue. Wait, A is not a Halo Repsh? Wait, what? Say that again? I was making a Halo Retch joke. Retch, yeah, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he also did Halo 3, by the way. Yeah, um, bad. that one's bad. So you know, I learned to fight be because I play bad. video games, just so you know. Hmm. Um, that explains a lot about Orlando Bloom's character, Dingus, that it's the writer of Halos. Okay. Yep. That's like the Logan Lucky Game of Thrones line when he says that. <laughs> like, oh yeah, video games. I want this character to be on my side. Yeah. <laughs> like those well, I feel like we've unlocked an aspect of this movie. Get it? Mm. It that- was directed by Michael Apted <sighs> and written by Peter O'Brien. Michael Apted, if it's like the movie title. <laughs> it stars Numi Raypace, <sighs> John Malkovich. <laughs> I mean, he's a good actor. Eamon Hamducci. <laughs> Annie, Annie Lennox and John Brian Casp. Wait, Annie Lennox? I mean, I'm sorry, Tony Collette. Oh, Dingus. I didn't see what Dingus is doing, Kelly. Yeah, he's uh, subtle. Which one was she? Yeah. That's he what happens when you delivery than you can credit for. Yeah, that ghastly haircut. And that, that, yeah. All right, Dingus, well played. Plus Brian, the character he's talking about. And Brian Casp. Um... Unlocked is rated R. Well, come on. For violence and language. I mean, as soon as you see the blood pouring out of that poor boy's eyes, you know. Oh. 
Oh, right, right. That was that poor boy. Right. I saw this three days ago and it feels like three years. <laughs> yeah, me too. You mean watching it or? Both. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, um, Kelly Wand, is there anything that the ratings board should also let folks know about besides violence and language for this movie? Uh, I covered my child's eyes at the following. <laughs> Uh, kids breaking a window with a soccer ball. I thought that was kind of a little too <laughs> risque. Uh, British accents, I thought, were a little much for a terrorist <laughs> movie. And also action music. making me want to pee a lot. <laughs> Chris Markinson agrees with you about the soccer ball, by the way. <laughs> Parents, be warned. There is soccer involved. So don't bring your kids. This movie does not have a theatrical release. It's available for streaming online. Uh, so there's no cinema score. There's no box office information I can give you. But what I can tell you is that six, no, eight, seven, 76% of the reviews for this were negative. What? Yeah. 24% positive. Wait, did I do that? Yeah. 24% are right. negative. I thought it would be the other way around. Well, check this out. What do you think of this, Kelly Wand? On Metacritic, the average rating from 1 to 100 from various reviews, it's at 46 on Metacritic. How do you feel about that? Uh, which is, I always get them mixed up, but I feel better about it. Okay. So the percentage of reviews that are positive is very low. Uh-huh. The overall rating, also very low. So that maybe, that maybe will clear it up for you. And we saw this because of it. Why? <laughs> Genghis and I really wanted to see the new Stephen King adaptation, It, but you were like, nope, uh-huh. I don't want to see another crappy Stephen King adaptation. Dark Tower is enough for me for one year. No uh-huh. one, this movie is going to, this new It movie about the clown, it's going to tank. No one is going to go to it. I have no yeah. desire to see it. No one famous is in it. It's going to be a huge failure. I don't want to do it on this podcast. That's what it's you said. It's another Dark Tower. It's a Dark yeah. Tower Redux. Fuck exactly. that shit. Dingus and I were curious. We were open to it. We were like, you know what? Give it a chance. It might be a big box office hit. It, might make, it might make $120 million on its opening weekend. It might be the second largest R-rated opening of all time. It might herald a new willingness amongst movie makers to make their horror movies rated R. Right. It, might, it might be, hey, a sign that these PG-13 crappy horror movies for teens – maybe they'll become a little more passe in the future. And that's what Dingus and I were arguing in favor of seeing It for. And you were like, nope, I want to see a Numi Rapace thriller. <sighs> Hope you're happy. Mm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel like a fucking idiot right now. I'll tell you that. <laughs> My face is beat red. Well, you guys, so it was Dingus and I that Just actually like spoke. like Pennywise's hair. Yeah, Dingus and I did not want to see it, and I feel foolish. We probably should have because it's such a big deal. Well, um, you hate horror. <sighs> and like you said, it's not like an argument for the Mountains of Madness movie that we could have championed against. See? But it probably – here's the thing, though. I will give you that. Like, I saw the trailer a way too many – like, it was playing before everything. Yeah, I've seen it, it too because I never – I thought I'm not going to watch this movie. I watched the trailer. So I've seen the trailer, yeah. It's it literally seven jump scares in a row, and I thought of you instantly. Yeah. Like, oh, how was I going to want to see it? Too many jump scares. Here's the I thing. I don't get the clowns thing. I, it doesn't – I get that. book never appealed to me. I don't get it's it, a, and I love Stephen King. I love him. But that whole clown thing. That's the one part of it I do get. 
Yeah, me too. I'm with I'm with Kelly Wand on this. And and what I'm curious about, what the reason that I'm bummed that we didn't see it is I really liked that uh, Bill Skarsgård's kid in Atomic Blonde. And if he's going to play a crazy, creepy clown, it's kind of like a this is a great uh, coming out role for him. Like this could be a great breakthrough role for this third Skarsgård to become well known and famous. Oh, so I want to see what he's doing. Yeah, he's oh, a clown. I loved, he's, I loved him in Atomic Blonde. Yeah, I did too. And we previously Pennywise was always Tim Curry for people, but now that this thing is so big, Bill Skarsgård is the new Pennywise, and I, you know, yeah. I want to see what he's doing. He's no pleasure. Yeah, well, I don't. I mean, it's 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 that kind of thing. Like the Joker is the the prototypical scary clown, right? Right. So let's see what this Skarsgård kid can do. Let's take Batman out of it and add kids. But first, let's see Unlocked, this Numi Rapace movie that Kelly Wand, the plot's a little bit convoluted. There's a lot going on here. I would like you to, to talk <laughs> me through the elements of the plot just so that I remember clearly, so that I'm, that I'm clear on what exactly has happened to whom when. Kelly Wand, I would like a synopsis of Unlocked, and I'd like it to be called the Unlopsis. Hey, that is what it's called. Awesome. Rock and roll. But you denied me the excitement of getting to say, now it's time for the itsopsis. Oh, I know. Well, you know, maybe in the future. Unfortunately, you live in Germany now, and it doesn't open there for a couple weeks. So instead, we have to see another horror movie first. Yeah, that'll be a disaster. Oh, that Aronofsky guy has no idea what he's doing. Ugh. (laughs) Doesn't even have clowns in it. I know, right? No funny clowns, uh, no scary clowns. We're probably going to be pining for the days of Unlocked when we have to see Mother. Mother has an exclamation point at the end, like the informant. So you're supposed to scream it when you ask for the ticket. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. All right. right. Here we go. Unlocked. They should have called it The It. It's cleaner. (laughs) It's not it. Unlopsis. It's not, it is it? Unlopsis. It would be like the it. Yeah, the it. Fate. People would be mispronouncing Fate. What's this Fate movie? Yeah, but cousin it on the Adams family, they didn't, it's not like he had a brother and they go, oh, it's the other it. You guys read the book. Why is the book it. called It? Is It the name of the clown? No. Because <laughs> it's Pennywise. Yeah. What is It? Is it's it into a spider? I guess they took that out. Dingus, we saw a movie called uh, It Comes at Night. No clowns in it. Oh, yeah, I'm seeing that Friday. Spoiler. But remember in It, Dingus, when it it turns into, like, the mummy and Frankenstein or the werewolf or something? And a ghost? Yeah. That's the part of it I didn't get. That's the part of it where I went, The book book turned me off. I, I just don't get it. I was really excited when it started, and then the rest of the book happened. That's what you guys get for reading Stephen King. I could have warned you about that. It's even the right length. I go, oh, it's a twelve hundred page book about a clown. Oh my suit. book! Ugh. That's the right length. Oh, that was his longest book at the time. Oh, God. and I think maybe even still, it's his longest book. Unless you no, the stand has to be longer. Or maybe the, the stand extended. It stand, which is great until the yeah. shitty ending. Both no. books. What do you mean? Unlopsis. Yeah. No one cares. There he collapses. Yeah, it's Jesus. Super. Yeah. The girl from Prometheus returns to Earth for a London job, pretending to listen to people bitch about their neighbors and spouses. A jolly old biblical man comes in and gibbers at her in Fortran. Her 
his interpreter's ball. He say, I told my wife she had hips of my best sheep and vagina like my best bull. Now she being total cunt. Single by any chance. Rapace is all. No, but Rooney Mara is. To the interpreter, she's all. Tell him not to speak to his wife anymore. Next. Her young black friend comes in, sighs, and goes, Yeah, Egyptians are living near me. He notices a statue made out of soap on her desk. He's all, oh, what's this? Statue of Liberty? Pyramid of Mars? He starts chewing it. She's all, put that down. He's all, I'm not going to break it. My character's super competent, as we'll all agree by the end of the movie. She makes her usual expression. He sighs and sets it down. I guess she leaves him sitting in her office to play with it some more, since she goes and calls the cops to have the Egyptians arrested. Tragically, when the cops get there, the place is vacant. A cop's all, hmm, maybe your black teen friend got the words Egyptian and empty mixed up. This is England. She scowls and goes home, where her newspaper refrigerator magnet turns into a flashback of Paris in 2012, blowing up. Cross-cut with another newspaper illustration of her dicking around with a punching bag. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> it's Sandbar. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was never sure what the verb for for sparring with the punching bag was. Now I know. Yep. Yeah. If it's if you're a girl, it's dicking around with it. Meanwhile, in a sandbar, two words. An old man makes his dark-complected teenage friend whisper something in his ear. The old man's all. And who will you tell it to? The kid's all. A character with glasses. The old man's all. Ah uh-uh. ah. He waves her approving finger. Sighing glumly, the kid leans forward and whispers in his ear. A character with glasses. Kelly, can you give us that one more time? We lost your whisper. This is an important line. All right. A character with glasses. No, that'll have to do. Did you hear it? (laughs) No, we did not. Can we have it one more time? No, I laughed when Tom said we lost your whisper. A character with glasses. Oh, we did hear it. I thought there was more that we didn't hear. <laughs> Never mind. The old ma- Well, I was hearing background noise, but I was deciding to just make it ambience. Yeah, mm. me too. The old man's all, what? Meanwhile, some college kids haze a prospective frat candidate in a car by punching him in the face and putting a sack over his head, even though he's okay looking. Meanwhile, a chick stealing some towels finds a guy asleep in an underground pool. She yawns loudly and cries from boredom. Meanwhile, Malkovich's character, Bert after reading, recovers from his coma and resumes his CIA job. He comes into a computer room and goes, I certainly hope you're interrupting my anniversary with my wife. I guess Tilda Swinton's in burn after reading for something coherent? A guy points to some monitors with stuff on them and goes, Sir, the MacGuffin in this is biological. Malkovich takes off his coat and goes, Oh, send my wife a couch, whatever it takes. I mean, he's been foster at <laughs> Meanwhile, in a bar, Rapace is reminiscing splendidly with her literally old boss, Michael Douglas, who's all. And the farmer says, Why does that pig have a wooden leg? Her smile fades. She's all, because I misaimed at the terrorist and shot the pig. Why are you always rubbing my nose in it? He's all, come back to the agency. I've told a lot of the guys that pig story and the one about you blowing up Paris. and They can't believe you're real. <laughs> See, last time I came, 
12 people died. I also accidentally killed most of the characters in Prometheus, if you think about it. <laughs> He's all, look, you're saying whatever you're saying right now. Didn't really catch it as a smoke screen for your fear. I get that. I use screens all the time. Catherine even makes me when I go down on her. He walks out. Meanwhile, in Malkovich's monitor robe, a headset guy's all, Okay, as they say on my least favorite movie website, sir, uh, good news, bad news. Uh, the bad news is uh, we caught the courier. The good news is our interrogator's ticker just gave out, so now we need to find a replacement. Malkovich sighs. His watch broke, and you can't just find him a replacement? Here, I'm wearing two. Uh, no, I mean he's dead, so we need to find a replacement interrogator. Uh, unfortunately, since I think this is England, nobody speaks Arabic, except her. He adds Malkovich for Pace's smiling headshot. There's an inset picture of the donut shop. Ship. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm picturing that happening. I can't stop picturing it. Donut shop. Pace there's an instant picture of a donut shop rolling up right behind her. <laughs> yeah, uh, she was a runaway teen. Uh, then she caught her teacher touching teens uh, other than her, so she blew up the cafeteria. Malkovich is all a fighter. Yeah, uh, she's had some rocky five years. Uh, accidentally blew up Paris back in 2012. Uh, it was on America's Funniest Home Videos. Lots of boings. Malkovich sighs, looks around at his cadre of subpar underlings, and goes, Under the circumstances, anyone have a better idea? Just as someone's about to say, well, What about Gary? He lives closer. The camera cuts to her pace. She walks down an alley till an old man with a big chin trots after her. He's all, Hey, uh, <clears throat> my name in this is uh, uh, Sutter. Uh, we need to get you... you uh, wait, we need you to get some uh, recognition some things. <laughs> I'm uh, with the uh, CII, FBI, whatever cover story you're dumb enough to fall for without doing any verification. You mean recognition protocols? He shrugs. She's all, I don't know, I hate myself. He's all, it's not a request, it was a shrug. He snickers at her again and raises a walkie-talkie and goes, Patsy acquired. He smiles at her and goes, that's spy speak for something innocuous. Grease told this and follows him to a hotel room that they somehow got a guy with a sack over his head inside without the concierge hassling him. <laughs> <laughs> the sets in this movie were amazing, by the way. <laughs> really felt like I was there. <laughs> She's all, lose the cameras. I want that idiot in there to trust me. In the other room, the prisoner's all, what cameras? Rapace sighs and goes into the next room. She sits down. She speaks in Swahili for a few seconds and then goes, I'm an idiot. He nods in agreement. She's all, aha, you just understood something I said in English. Gotcha. <laughs> he farts. She's all, twice. To play a bad cop, she gives him a Pepsi. He guzzles it. She shows him some pictures of terrorists. He's all, I don't know these people. She shows him pics of him going on carnival rides with them and playing Twister. <laughs> <laughs> He's all, all right. He caught me. My mother died when I was 10, by the way. She shows him pictures of his mom's funeral. 
he's all, right, it's what I just said. Ten minutes later, she comes into the villain room to eat a salad. She's all, okay, I got some protocol. It's decimal point, happy face, trademark symbol. Phone rings. Says it's from mom with an exclamation point. (laughs) She's all, hang on, I got to take this. I'll be right back. She goes into the next room and goes, I told you I'd show you how to open Facebook tonight. Rapace, it's us, uh, the real interrogators. Uh, we need you to interrogate somebody. <laughs> oh, shit. Goes into the next room. She sits down and watches while a black guy screws a suppressor onto his gut, reflected <laughs> in the teapot that's suddenly right in front of her. For some reason, nobody notices her noticing this. So, oh, yeah, mm, yeah, oh, by I was kidding before. I better talk to him again. Oh, I need to be alive for that, no? (laughs) (laughs) She runs into the other room, writes on a sketch pad, and holds it up so the kid can read it. It says teapot. The kid rolls his eyes and goes, Well, come on, this is the oldest trick in the book. She puts her head over his mouth and writes, Mom called. He gulps, nods nervously. In the other room, the guys all sigh with relief at her writing on sketch pads and covering his mouth. For a second there, it looked like they were in a movie about her. She tricks the bad guys by them shooting the kid in the leg as they flee down some stairs. The kid's all, Wow, you said you'd protect me. She's all, Well, nothing's opposite. I said it to parents also. He gets shot some more, so she tricks the bad guys by running away. When I wake up, she's getting shot at again, and Michael Douglas is... (laughs) (laughs) Well, he awkwardly holds a baggie of ketchup over his belly. (laughs) He's all, ugh, ugh, my stomach hurts. I can't move. Go to 69 British Street. My... Ex-wife comes to share caddy corner to the speakeasy uh, 10 blocks from there. Meanwhile, in a basement, a guy watches an Asian guy in a hazmat suit gingerly infect some mice with a bioplague. The Asian guy... Yeah, as you can see from how much I zoomed in on that worm here on my monitor screen, uh, this plague's really good at catching fish. Not sure if it works on humans. But trust me, your ice problem's going to be a thing of the past. The other guy's all, yeah, yeah, I trust you. You sure this lab's secure, though? We don't want anything stupid to happen on a matter of such vital importance. A kid suddenly kicks a soccer ball through the nearby window at a straight glass, then comes into the locked door to retrieve. He sniffs at them and goes, the air in here tastes like Pepsi. He kicks the soccer ball to smash through the other closed window partition and another shatter and scampers off. The guys look at each other. Later. Hi, I'm a sexy robber. (laughs) (laughs) Open the shit. I'm grinning. My name's Jack. Trust me, you don't want to know why. I shall cover your eyes and tongue this masking tape and cuff you to my trash dumpster. Oh, sounds like me kind of girl. 
He grins rakishly and tries winking at her with just one eye for a few minutes. Suddenly, some cops come in and taser her, but the robber tricks them by breaking into their apartments. (laughs) (laughs) Some guys with buckets of paint just walk past my windows, like, listening to all this. (laughs) I must have a really cool job. Rapace takes the robber to an exposition rooftop and goes, Who trained you? (laughs) (laughs) Trained me? I play video games. Mostly King's Bounty and Cold Set. Talisman. Four tours. (laughs) He continues, But I also robbed apartments in Afghanistan. You should let me join you. I'm the only love interest you've got besides Malkovich, and I love the movie I Love Trouble. Nick Nolte was born to play a man procrastinating typing an article about a train wreck. They visit her black friends at some apartment. When they get there, she picks up a little girl and goes, How old are you? The kids all... Because it's a baby, not because it's a black child. She's all, ha ha, he's not the number. No wonder you're so fat. The black kid who broke her Eiffel Tower earlier lives there, too. He's all, oh, my grandfather's got nausea. I'll join you. By the way, those Egyptians turn out to be Danish. She drives around in a car while the black kid or the robber argue about soccer in the backseat. She finds the hummus place by telling a shopkeeper the terrorist kid's dead mom's actually alive, which makes him run away. Rapace walks into a back room filled with incense smoke and the old man and goes, All right, vaguely Arabic-looking old man character, but what's your message going to be to the glasses man? This is a bio-weapon! <laughs> I don't know why she's always mad. <laughs> she's really intense, isn't she? Yeah, she's a, yeah. That's why I fast fed her. I had to get rid of her in Cov. So I call Alien Covenant. He's all oh, just to use the bio plague for good in accordance with the Quran, and that my corns hurt. That was my other message. She loses interest and makes her black eye. Fred, wait by an elevator someplace while she and the robber go upstairs and walk down a hallway. Suddenly, <laughs> Rapace's mom calls her again. She sighs, picks up, and goes, Damn it, Mom, I'm on a date. Voice is all, It's me, you idiot. The lady with blonde, spiky hair like Bridget Nielsen. I think I'm in MI6, the uh, organization, not the movie. Hey, we found some exposition in an abandoned car, so <laughs> abort Operation Hallway for now. Bye. She hangs up. <laughs> Oi, maybe when I said I robbed apartments in Iraq? Oh, crazy. I thought you said it was in Afghanistan. Uh, uh, right, well, see, all right, right, let's, right, see, look, I can explain. You see, when I said Iraq just now, I was referring to the Latin form of the word Al-Roker, who looks like he's from Afghanistan. Okay, I believe you. Let's go. He pulls out his gun and goes, Fuck, you got me. I'm a traitor. Well played. Damn it. 
really thought it could get you to trust me if you thought I was trying to steal your stereo. He tries to kill her with a knife. Throbber wins the fight, but instead of killing her, for some reason decides to ride down an elevator with her <laughs> and an arm and two muzzled Rottweilers. Chase somehow unmuzzles one of the Rottweilers without either man or the Rottweiler noticing, and for some reason the dog attacks only the robber. Pace runs out into a garage, chased by the robber, who for some reason has killed only one of the Rottweilers and not her, who for some reason does nothing yet. The robber beats her pace again, and then, instead of shooting her this time, aims his pistol at her again and goes, Oh, yep, time for me to say something else before I kill you. It's too bad the job was to kill you, because if I don't, you bet it, I'd have really wanted the stereo. She drools in his face, apparently warming a bit to the big lug. Suddenly, the dog owner shows up and shoots him, then lets the other dog kill him, while Rapace, who caused the other dog's death, yawns and leaves, taking questions from the dog. <laughs> Thanks, Rapace. Meanwhile, in a hospital, some cops and a doctor stand by the bed of the infected soccer kid, who's bleeding from his eyes and everything else. The doctor's all... Yeah, so the eye blood's uh, from his soccer injuries. I guess the game with his friends got pretty intense, and the round of marbles they played afterwards uh, was even worse. But yeah, the bioplague's also not helping, probably. Yeah. He shrugs. Should we call his parents? The cops all, no, we don't want to start a panic. Riots have no place in British soccer. Let's just stand. <laughs> the kids all, please, doctor, can I at least have a blanket? The cop smiles tenderly and goes, What? Meanwhile, the Bridget Nielsen lady friend of Rapaces hires the black guy to pose as an Arabic messenger since he speaks Arabic. And black guys look vaguely Arabic to other Arabs at night, I guess. Pace isn't down with it, though. Nielsen, no. The boy's 18. Plus, look at him. Nielsen's all, Don't be racist. She hands the kid an earpiece. The kid giggles gleefully and goes, Where do I put this? Wait, I know. He chucks it over a cliff. Nielsen turns to her pace and goes, Oh, by the way, we found out you didn't know what parents after. As you can see from this flashback footage, none of us was present at. A guy we found near a rowboat did. Sorry for the mix. There's that background noise again from Tom's. Her pace sighs. She's all, so I guess I wasn't a failure that day. The irony is, I hate Paris. Meanwhile, a bad guy in blackface starts picking off Bridget Nielsen's snipers while Rapace's black friend waits on a pier and looks suspicious. In Nielsen's van, a fat guy skypes them and goes, Hello, yeah, got your message. Uh, in answer to your question, only one person bought a sniper rifle on Valentine's Day. Uh, one guy with white hair, John Wilson. Then he said, uh, Allahu Akbar cackled and walked out. I probably should have called it in, but I'm a gun seller, not a marriage counselor. He hangs up. Rapace is all. What the fuck? Did you guys sweep the undersides of the pier for death cords? Look, it's right there on the screen. Jesus. Nielsen shrugs. Rapace sighs, runs into the water, and plays with a cable under the pier, like in Jaws. Nielsen watches as the monitor screens of her snipers start turning to static one by one. She's all, uh, uh, Eagle f uh, four, five, five, Eagle five, please check your link. The guy on screen's all, my link? What? Wait, someone trying to shoot me? Why don't you just say that? Uh! 
Nielsen's all, hmm, maybe we should lock the door to this van at least. Suddenly, the blackface guy opens the door of the van, then shoots everybody inside, including Nielsen, but not in the face for some reason. Meanwhile, at the pier, an Arab kid shows up, looks at the black guy and goes, do you know what I say when it is Miller time? The black guy's all, absolutely not. Oh, the message is, nice work getting that bioplague. Don't use it. McCorn's hurt. The guy's all. And where is this written? The black guy's all. Uh, the book jacket it. The guy's all. Correct. He shoots him and walks off. As her black shot friend flails in the water, Rapace grabs him and goes, Here, I think Sivata disinfects wounds. Yes, have some. And don't worry, I'm not going to lose you like that loser interrogatee on the stairs and act of... Uh, the black-faced sniper shoots him, then a couple boats, then remembers to target Rapace also. But she tricks him by submerging for a couple seconds. Then she remembers she needs air and surfaces, but Bridget Nielsen shoots him. <sighs> you guys still there? Yeah, I'm still here. She dramatically wears her coat to reveal she's wearing a bulletproof vest. She's all, I had a feeling my monitor room wasn't secure, so I wore this. Maybe should have shared my reservations with my two dead colleagues, but... Meanwhile, a bike messenger quits his job. In a construction site, <laughs> Sutter meets Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas sets the Bioplague timer app on his phone for five seconds. Sutter's, don't worry, I wasn't followed. Ugh. Repace pistol whips and then knees Douglas in the junk. She's all, give me your phone. He's all, don't insult me. In keeping with her patella theme, she threatens to shoot him in his knee, but he tricks her by her forgetting she's out of bullets and knocks her down some stairs. Outside, it announces all, Ladies and gentlemen, get ready for the long-awaited football game between the U.S. and the U.K. <laughs> Since the coin toss landed edgewise, the U.S. team will be playing with the traditional Xanax-shaped pigskin, and the U.K. team will be using a soccer ball shaped like a basketball. Now, please all rise for both national anthems as they play simultaneously. Rapace tricks Michael Douglas, Phantom Menace style, by hanging over a pit till he trips over his tie and falls down the shaft faster, heading her his phone as he plummets. She fumbles with it for a bit till she hits the red button that says Mom on it. Through the window, it's all, and the final score is irrelevant to three. It's a tie, and tons of people are still in the elevators for some reason. Malkovich calls Rapace. He's all, so you want to apologize to me and for the movie to be over? Let's skip both of those and end this by you killing the guy with glasses who somehow got away during your dumb scuffle with Gecko. <laughs> I predict the glasses man will be riding a bus in Eastern Europe wearing a green ball cap at some point. He's all, that's our thinking too. Some words are all, 60 months later, someplace in Europe, the glasses man rides a bus, but I guess to the wrong destination since he starts to go down some stairs. Now that she's surrounded by dozens of witnesses, Rapace tricks him by showing up with a knife and ruining his pants while the crowd reacts with off-screen disinterest. Malkovich picks her up in a car to drive around the corner and let her out. He's all, be a stranger. Sin name's Naomi, like the protagonist in Showgirls and the poor man's Tyra Banks. She opens the door to get out and then stares at us. Malkovich looks confused, then looks at us too. Some words tell me who trained Michael Douglas's stunt double to hold a blood squib. The end. Thank you, Kelly Wand. <laughs> Sorry for the noise, I muted myself partway through. Uh, 
All right, well, Kelly Wand, you don't have a three-by-three three to introduce this week. You don't have one to tell us about next week. So since you have so little to do on the show, why don't you give us an over and an under for Unlocked and tell us what you thought of it. Uh, my theme of my over and under were movies about wooden girls trying to prevent ecological disasters. So, um, my under is some of all fears with Affleck and my over is black Sunday, which I thought was better than this movie. Who is the wooden girl in some of all fear? Wait, what are these? What are the wooden girls in those movies? Well, Affleck and Robert Shaw. JK, JK. All right. Uh, so Black Sunday and Some of All Fears. Dingus, yeah. you said you said you agreed with him. So is that one of your overs and unders? Uh, he nailed it. Uh, but um, I didn't choose Wooden Girls. I chose I choosed. I chose uh, disasters at uh, at National Football League stadiums. Mm. London has fallen. Um, so it was uh, it was exactly as Kelly said. He. he 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 nailed it. It's uh, uh, the under is some of all fears and over is Black Sunday, which is way, I mean, I, which is much more over this. Um, is some of all fears really that bad? Because this is horrible. It's not that bad actually. I kind of I liked some of all fears well enough. It's I remember he people. fails and it blow they blow up Baltimore. So right, but the, but, but w- as soon as I realized when they were talking soccer in the car. After listening to the radio, oh, it's going to be at Wembley. That's that's where the attack is. I mean, it's so such an obvious move in in this movie's yeah. uh, progression. Like, it's there's also a thing that's going to go on. That's a big thing. Oh, let's turn them off and let's <laughs> right. talk about soccer for a minute. And yeah. also, let's let's reference a TV show called Dallas that nobody who in the world. <laughs> This this reminds me of reruns from Dallas. Really nice recent reference. Think Wait, maybe it's a period it. piece. This could be a period piece. Was were we ever? De- oh well, it, it is post twenty twelve, right? She says the Paris attack. Dingus, I think you're right. That is an anachronism. It's it's an idiotic and it's an idiotic referencing. I haven't seen shoulder pads like that since reruns of Dallas. Yeah, I'm sure Orlando Bloom. You've been rock- watching plenty of those. <laughs> Uh, and so then I, I did like that little exchange where he's like, now can we talk about the beautiful game of soccer? And she goes, will you two shut up? <laughs> She's like, yeah. will you shut up? Will you both shut up? I did like that one moment. But you immediately know, okay, well, it's going to be at Wembley Stadium and it's the American NFL playing in England, which is, I think, a ridiculous thing anyway. I wonder, does um, that ever actually happen? Yeah, yeah, it's a thing. Uh, oh, it's, really? It's, we go over there and we play like American football in England? Yeah, a couple games a year, um, mm-hmm. we send our teams over there to play uh, American football in order to uh, the we NFL is the revolution. The NFL is trying to um, internationalize uh, their brand, oh. uh, so they would like to have it in China. They would not like to have it in England. They would like to have it in different parts of the world, so that they could make it a global sport the way soccer is, um, as opposed to us just liking soccer. So in order to do that, they just uh, export a couple of our teams over there every year, and it's uh, it's uh, it's usually kind of a disaster. Is, uh, does the game that they play over there actually matter, or is it just like a exhibition game? Would the bioplague have made it better? 
No, no, it's 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 definitely part of the the regular schedule, and it matters. Right. I mean, it matters as far as uh, the team standings in the real world, and it's difficult because you know if your team is on the west coast, your team is on the east coast, and you're traveling to London, these have pretty big Im- implications for how your players are going to play. And uh, is, I, is it so only the U- real- Is it only in in England? Like, do they go to Latin America ever, or other places in Europe, or this is just in London? <laughs> No, I I, I'm fascinated because I actually genuinely, ah, I genuinely ah, thought they invented this for this movie. I was like, no, wait no, a minute, it, that can't be real. It, it, well, it is a real thing. Now, now, Oklahoma versus Portland is a total mm, – that's totally made up. I mean the, the two teams in this, in this particular matchup are Oklahoma versus Portland, which I'm guessing uh, they did just so that people wouldn't wish that – uh, their least favorite team would be <laughs> the subject of a terrorist well, attack. Presumably for uh, trademark reasons, right? Like you probably can't mention team. Like it's like a product. You can't just throw in a team name, can you? Without getting. The well, you're right. Point? Actually, you're probably actually, you're probably right about that. So, thing is, do they go? I don't to, think they ever mention the NFL either. I think they just talk about America. Football. And do they go to Latin America and other continents and do this, or it's just a thing in England right now? Uh, it's just right now in England, but I think they're trying to move it into China. And That's so weird. Stuff. Okay. Yeah, but they're trying to make the brand international because, uh, you know, they want to call themselves world champions and soccer is a truly or the actual football is an actual truly international game. And uh, terrorists hate soccer or football, whichever one they're trying to bioplay. But the moment they mentioned that, I thought of Black Sunday because of that weird thing that I've talked about many times before. We're watching the we're watching this movie Black Sunday, which is a John Frankenheimer movie. Um, I was very much keyed into the whole this weird emotional experience of being a kid and going, boy, what would that be like if that happened? Um, and what if it what if it actually what if they actually pull it off and being a little weirdly and sadly uh, disappointed that it didn't, and then feeling guilty about that. <laughs> um, but then the whole. I've the never mouse. gotten that far into my theorizing, but I like that you have. The, of all people, that you're. Well, like, I, felt, I felt I felt horrible about that. But I, I get a reason. I talked to my dad about that at the time, and he's like, "Yeah, that's a little weird, but I understand what you're saying." But the the thing with the mice in this, which has never paid off, and and there's no right. reason for him to waste the. They the give us a kid soccer on the mice because because uh, Martin or whatever his name is just goes. Yeah, I'm not going to stay around and watch that anyway. So see ya. Yeah, <laughs> it's this is why, a, right. why he bothers to do that is beyond me. But th- there's this great sequence in Black Sunday where they test it in a barn, um, where they test the the, uh, the device they're going to use, which shoots all the shrapnel in this barn with these farmers. Um, right, it's really horrifying. Sure. Yeah, um, but the the mice never even figure in it's just a, a kid who happens to stumble in for some reason um so as soon as i saw that mouse thing i was like oh this reminds me of a much better movie which is black sunday well, I'm I'm surprised. Over to you, Trump. yeah i'm surprised you guys put some of all fears underneath it because i remember that being a fairly competent movie i wasn't into those jack ryan things but uh this thing is just horrible like this thing is like made for tv level crap with an incomprehensible script, a terrible lead, horrible pacing. Uh, so what I was going to do for my over and under are movies I watched because Tony Collette was in them. 
And that's really the only reason that I was interested. Dingus, you and I know an actor, which you mentioned, uh, a fellow named Brian Casp. He's a good friend of ours who's made a living as an actor in Prague. Uh, and we were excited to know that he was in this. And he had a fairly substantial part. That was cool to see. But the main reason I wanted to see this, regardless of watching it because Brian was in it, was because I thought it was a Tony Collette movie. So my over and under, are it was going to be movies I watched because Tony Collette was in it. But I had a hard time coming up with an under. So earlier today, I watched a movie that I was confident would be worse than this, a movie called Fun Mom Dinner, <laughs> which was like a bridesmaid. It's like a chick comedy, like a bad mom's chick comedy about women who are going to have a fun mom dinner and they have a wacky, crazy night. And it's terrible. Uh, the only reason this movie got made, it's written by a woman named, I forgot her first name, I think her name is Julia Rudd. And I'm like, oh, let's see what's on her credit. Wow, this is the only movie she's ever written. Oh, look, she's married to someone famous. Uh, That's how this movie got made. Life after best. Yeah, so Paul Rudd's wife wrote a script called Fun Mom Dinner, uh, and it got made into a movie with Toni Collette as one of the fun moms. She's basically the serious mom. Uh, Molly Shannon is one of the four fun moms. Uh, A really over-the-top, super enthusiastic actress named Bridget Everett is the Melissa McCarthy role. She's a big old fat woman with blonde hair, super just rambunctious. Uh, and the lead is a woman I've never seen before named Katie Azelton, who is just uh, vanilla, white bread, completely forgettable. So I watched this movie, and I actually kind of enjoyed it. And Tony Collette is amazing in it. And it just reminds me how if you let Tony Collette have your movie. If you let her do what she can do, she will rescue bad material. Unfortunately, in this, she's barely in it. She right. has nothing really to do. But this terrible movie, Fun Mom Dinner, which is super predictable, uh, the whole plot, they don't even do anything. Like, it doesn't get wacky like uh, Bad Moms or that – what's the movie we saw where the, the women night. are – yeah, rough night. Doesn't do anything like that. The moms just go out and they get stoned and they go to a bar and one of them meets a hot bartender and has to deal with, hey, do I want to be faithful to my husband? And she does. And that's the tension of the movie. And that's it's kind of uh. it's very unassuming. But Tony Collette is just so freaking good in it. And and Molly Shannon's cute. This Bridget Everett chick, she is so just super. She's got a lot of gusto. Like she's a she's just this ballsy chick and she's a it's fascinating to watch. Um, but Tony Collette is just so good. So I could not put Fun Mom Dinner underneath Unlocked. It was so much better than Unlocked. It's so a better title. It's a better title. And again, seriously, like, I, if you like Tony Collette, and I do, I love Tony Collette, this is a classic example of how she elevates material. She's super good. She's just amazing in Fun Mom Dinner. As the laid-back mom who doesn't want to be there, who thinks the other moms are kind of ridiculous, she looks down her nose at them. In a way, she's my perspective is I'm sitting down to watch this dumb movie. I'm above this movie. And Tony Collette's the same way. I'm above the events of this movie. And she's so good at it that she kind of got me to buy into it. So I couldn't go with – I can't think of a worse movie with Tony Collette in it that I watched ever, that I've ever seen. And I've seen her in some stinkers. Wow. So what I had to do is go with uh, just like, hey, terrorism is awful movies. Just kind of terrorism thrillers. Uh, So my under, and this is a bit of a stretch, but I'm going to stick with this. My under is Munich because Munich takes itself (laughs) so seriously. And it is just so clunky and so leaden. This movie at least knows, hey, we're a dumb thriller. We're going to have like action scenes. Munich 
Spielberg, I think, thought he was making a statement. He did this Twin Towers stuff at the end, and he's got this whole bit about Eric Bana's sex life. Is like he's he's imagining like the the part, massacre but... of the athletes as he's having sex. It's just weird and takes itself too too seriously, and it's awkward. Uh, Munich was just super uncomfortable to watch. So I enjoyed this better than Munich because at least this knew it was just a glossy thriller without the gloss. Uh, my over is a really bad movie with Michael Sheen and Samuel Jackson, which is one of these, like, torture fantasies. Prisoners, the, Den- the Denis Villeneuve movie is like this. It's one of these fantasies about, hey, what if we really should be torturing people? And what if even though we did it and it's terrible, it turns out that it's the right thing? And it's one of these things where Michael Sheen knows where a dirty bomb is going to go off. He has this knowledge. And Samuel Jackson has to torture him to get him to reveal the knowledge. And he just does these terrible torture things to Michael Sheen. And it finally turns out that, yep, you got to torture people to get him to tell you when the bomb is going to go off. And he, like, even threatens Michael Sheen's family. And it's all terrible, but it's for the best because they stopped the bomb. It's a terrible, horrible movie. It's called Unthinkable. And it's slightly (laughs) better than this because at least it has – at least it has some sort of a, a memorable payoff. Like you're, you're watching the movie going, well, where is this going to come down on the side of torture? They set up Michael Sheen as being somewhat sympathetic. Uh, at least it's somewhat provocative. This movie is not that at all. So there you go. There's my over and under. I think this thing is terrible. <laughs> um, super disappointed in it. Uh, and there we go. The, the one twist I did like in it and that made me go, nice, was when uh... – the interrogators turned out to be in on it. I thought that was a that was the one time where it, it kind of tricked me. Is where, where you find out that she's in mean? a fake interrogation, like yeah, that she's in a fake interrogation. She's surrounded by them, and I go, oh, that's a that that seemed like a Mission Impossible level right. uh, complication. Like, oh, now you got to get out of a room full of like, and they and they have the drop on you. And even though it was kind of a stupid way for her to find out, like it's a very passive. Someone just calls her. To, By the way, you got to get out of there. Like that, that's lame. That's There's a lot of that. That's our friend. Brian really? Yeah. That's Bob. He plays mom. Um, yep. But the the Michael Douglas one was so predictable right after that that it totally took me out of the movie. Like, ah, oh, really? You think I'm going to be that stupid? And the bad guys in it were so incompetent. It just didn't feel like a fair fight. It made me want to actually write a movie called Henchmen, where it's like <laughs> Alien meets Final Destination, but it's told from the point of view of guards who just live in mortal dread of this rarely seen movie hero stalking them that's like unkillable. Because it's just, they're so hapless. And I, it's starting to bug me. I know it's an action movie trope, but two things that are starting to bug me in movies like this is was when they don't shoot the hero right away. Mm-hmm. And when people jump out of the way of a, of a speeding car on a sidewalk. It's like... I, for for decades, I've watched that happen and it never been bothered. I'm like, oh, that's a close call. And now every time I see it, I go, you wouldn't have time to jump. Like, it wouldn't be, you don't see the car coming from a distance and then jump out at the last second. You either hear it coming way in advance or you don't hear it. <laughs> and walk slowly out of the way. <laughs> right. It's not just the steady domino chain of people going, wah, and then jumping that's right. That's what my dad, I remember my my dad saying this about somebody running down the street when a car is chasing them. He's like perpendicular. Hello. Yeah. Prometheus all over again. (laughs) So yeah, I don't know, man. I I kind of agree. Kelly. Like that scene right there, that could have been in a good movie. This, this whole idea that, uh, yeah, you find out there's a twist and you're wise to it, but the bad guys don't know you're wise to it. How are you going to get out of it? How are you going to communicate and the whole, hey, get the cameras out of here. That's like a contrived setup for that. So she right. can do. Yeah. And I kind of like that could be in a cool movie. 
Uh, I also, here you go, Kelly Wan. I, and it was partly because I was, as I was watching this, I was super dismayed in just how clunky it was and the production level and just uh, Malkovich is just so ridiculous. And I, what is he doing? Bye bye. I know, I know. The little bits where he's in the Skype window in the background. What is that? uh, But it's, as I was getting increasingly dismayed with how terrible this movie was going to be, I, like Kelly Wand with that scene, I was super glad, and this is, again, I was just hungry for anything to cheer for. I was super glad when Orlando Bloom rescued her. I was like, oh, yeah, cool. It's going to be like a buddy movie with the two of them. Yeah. And it's, it's wacky. Like the, yeah, it's, he's the roguish guy, and she's the yeah. super stilted by the book uh, agent. And unfortunately, that didn't really pay off. But I briefly was like, yeah, thank you. Right. Yay, Orlando Bloom, Legolas, go. Woo-hoo! I was totally on board, but that didn't last. But you right. knew that was going to happen, right? Right. No, yeah. She she lets him go. And I was like, at some point, that's that's going to be relevant. But I didn't realize that down in the basement at that same moment, I, I'm so dumb that I didn't see that coming. I didn't also know that Michael Douglas was going to be a bad guy. Partly, I didn't. Uh, oh, oh, good uh, Lord. Uh, but more important than not knowing. Uh, more important than not knowing, I didn't care. Like I wasn't, I That's didn't right. care. I wasn't even thinking about it. The movie was just off screen, and he's all, "I can't move." Is the first thing he says, and he goes, "I get get to this address," and it's like, yeah. and he's yelling the address so that the guys out the yeah. window can hear it for some yeah. reason. What the yeah. fuck are you doing? It's so weird. I did love so, how he karate chops her down some stairs. <laughs> like, oh, that was so pathetic. That was like, this is your action move. That's your choreography. Michael Douglas is going to yeah. chop her on the neck and she's going to tumble back the stairs. <laughs> Except yeah. the, the script, the, the screen direction is flails because it just looks like he flailed at her. Yeah. And then, That's oh, the I'm thing. rolling down the stairs. Oh. It's a battle of idiots. That's why the movie is irritating. Is you're going, what? Because <laughs> like, if, like, if she's by Orlando Bloom. Um, well, there's uh, this is something that Chris Markinson also brings up. She's got all of this. She's supposed to have all of this spy craft and trade craft and everything, and she can't tell when a dude in the next room has picked up another landline, right? Kicked it off a desk like, and put it up to his ear. She yeah. can't tell that somebody else has picked up another line in the same apartment. She can't yeah. hear that. Oh, good lord! I couldn't tell if she was smart or dumb because some. How about half the movie? She's making. She's like, oh, you guys got a death cord. Oh, I have to do this, and yeah. then she gets out. And but it's well, like the other half of the time, she's just being told stuff. Just horrible what? writing because they they step yeah. out of the van at the last possible moment. You would step out of the van. She's got to look after this guy, and we're going right. to have an exposition. This is another thing, Chris said. We're we're going to step out of the van and have this scene where I tell you it's not your fault. During the, in the middle of this this super important operation, right. we're just yeah. going to step out of the van, and I'm going to give you a bunch of exposition about this that thing that happened. And why would she have told her before? And no, why did that? It's, it's kind of like she calls a timeout for some character development. Right. Timeout, timeout, character hey. development, and then we'll do the action stuff. Okay, it wasn't your fault. The CIA was trying to cover up civilian casualties. It's a false flag operation. You're clear. You're good. Now go. Action scene. Yeah. <laughs> But it makes no sense in the story why that would be be told to her right then, or how that would suddenly well, be knowledge. Especially because Mr. Mr. Joshua is creeping around outside, and nobody seems to understand that. Right. I, I think what's going on there is I, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess what's going on with the script. Although first, Kelly, I want to have a question for you. What uh, does Numi Raypace recognize when they're covering the black guy with the snipers? And she's like, "Wait a minute, look, what is it?" She calls out. Uh. What did you call that? 
No, the the wire. What did you call it? She said the wire. Oh, was death cord. It's a death, death cord. Yeah, it's a detonation yeah. cord. <laughs> I yeah. like that. I love that you think it's a death oh, cord. Death cord. Death, death, death cord. It's a death cord, like a detonation <laughs> cord. Yeah. So, I thought it was um, a death cord. I, I was, think credit rating was bad. That I, I think what's going on with this movie, I think what they're trying to do, and I noticed it, I kind of admire this as an attempt, even though the movie was so clunky about it, is it's setting you up for thinking you're seeing a movie about horrible Muslim terrorists. You know, they're Islamic and they're doing terrorist stuff, but the movie wants to gradually uh, flip that on its head where right. the Muslim, the Muslims who are the swarthy Muslims, they're Arabic Muslims, by the way, they're good guys. They're trying to prevent stuff and they're, they want to highlight that, that right. Islam is a religion of peace and the bad guys are the white guys, right. the CIA guys. So that's why at that point you have that's to find fine. out. That's why at that point you have to find out that even the event, like it goes back as far as the event that drove her to, to quit and be guilty and to be traumatized. Even that was the evil white CIA guys. It was their right. fault, not a failure on her part. So over the course of the movie is it's flipping that expectation on its head. And I think that's why they saved that reveal for the clunky part in the middle of an action scene. Oh. Uh, well, that's I, my guess. Know, I, I, I I was going to ask you guys, one of the questions I had for you, especially, well, both of you, what do you think conservatives are going to think of this? <laughs> They're not going to see exactly it. what you're talking about, Tom. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, well, I don't really care. I mean, I'm, I don't think they'll have a take on it. Of, well, we're the bad guys and they're the good guys. Yeah, but I mean, do the, do conservatives even see movies? And when they see action movies, do they think that far ahead? Like, it, it, they would only care if the movie was a big hit, and then they go, "Oh, see, liberal liberal values creeping into our movies." But like, this movie is not going to be a big enough. It just it's it was really hard to watch this movie just right after Atomic Blonde, which I don't mm. I doubt conservatives would have had any opinion on either, and that was like a bigger movie than this. But it's like Reagan era um, espionage. So- I can imagine, like, I can imagine someone stumbling across this when it's on Netflix or, or whatever, and saying, "Oh, there's an action movie. Uh, this is the chick from Prometheus. Let's uh, let's watch this." Uh, and and Dingus, I don't know what they would think of it, but I like what it is doing to them. Like, I like the fact that it looks like, and I was I felt a little oogie about this that it looks like it's going to be a movie about radical Islamic terrorism, and you've got to get all three of those words in there, including the Islamic. Uh, and I like the idea that it subverts that. Like, that was one of the things that I. I like about the script and it made me more bummed that the movie wasn't good because I would like someone who would normally cheer and play into those expectations about how Muslims are evil and especially Arab Muslims are evil. I would like them to be watching this and to have a good movie flip that script on them. Unfortunately, it's a clunky movie and I, Someone watching this could dismiss it for so many reasons beyond the plot. That's the thing. Conser- conservatives kind of see what they want to see, and I think the average conservative would watch it and just take the wrong takeaway from it. They go, "Yeah, see, that's England. Look how uh, easy it is to get to bioplagues into it. A kid kicks a soccer ball into it. Like they'd be going, this just proves Europe's fucked.'" Like that's well, Dingus's question, though, that that is like the Jack Reacher movies were proudly adopted as uh, pro-gun, like pro-NRA, and I think the guy who writes those novels is a super rich kind of guy. Yeah, like I, I uh, and certainly American Sniper. Like it, it is worth and, watching movies and thinking, okay, what do people from different political backgrounds think of these, and how do they feel about them? Uh, but unfortunately, this thing is just so clunky and inconsequential that I, 
don't think it ultimately matters. But it does make me wish that the movie had been good. Yeah, yeah I, I felt the same way. Um, They'd hate that it's because, a girl. <laughs> they go, wait, that should have been Jack Ryan. You can't have a girl. This is what happens when you put a girl in charge of talking Actually, to I, I want to address that in, separately in a moment, just a, just a moment, Kelly. But I do like, although I don't like the acting in it or some of the writing, the imam scene where he's talking about the hypothetical. You know, what if he was, what if we're talking about uh, a man who's filled with hate and now he doesn't like the way his religion is going and he wants to try to pull it back and he has to try to figure out how to pull it back by degrees uh, so that he can do so and not be abandoned um, and not have his religion be destroyed. Uh, I did like that idea of it. I just, I just, I thought it was so, uh, you know, your word clunky is perfect, Tom. This whole, well, the CIA has, has just is is now going to destroy a, a an entire stadium or not destroy them but release this aerosol into an entire stadium that then they will bring back to America in order to just get away with more killing is just like it it's just so <laughs> yeah is Britain in on that too. <laughs> it seems weird that you're doing that. Well, they're not. MI5 is it's definitely an, an American intelligence thing. Like MI5 and MI6 don't they're they're right. the big guys in this. It seems weird you're doing that off like you're not doing it on American soil, but you're still going to infect Americans. Well, it's a really st- I think it's poorly thought out. It's, it doesn't make do, any sense. Yeah, if you do a false flag operation, it needs to be something like big and immediate. Like just to set up a bomb there. This whole yeah. idea of a false flag operation being infecting people who then travel transatlantically and back to Europe. And then three days later, it comes up like that makes no sense. That's not that's right. way too elaborate. That's what actual terrorists would want to do. That's yeah. not what you would do. You know, so the, yeah, the, the Bourne movies, by the way, have been really good with playing with this mm. idea of what if it's the neoconservatives? Like what if what if this part of the intelligence community are really the bad guys and, and we have a renegade agent with a conscience? Uh and they play with this kind of flip the script where the the spies who used to be the good guys are really the evil ones, which I think is a product of uh, the Bush administration and neoconservatives. I like seeing that stuff play out there. And I think this could have been an offshoot of that. Uh, but, yes, yeah, it's, it's too clunky. And, yeah, that that plot is ridiculous because like your deal with Black Friday, Black Sunday, Black Friday. It's the Super Sunday. Bowl. Black Sunday. Right, right. Super because Bowl. NFL games are played on Sunday. So right. that whole deal where the bomb goes off and wanting to see that as a kid, that's like, yeah, you go to the NASCAR race because you want to see the car wreck. You want to see right. the dramatic yeah. thing. Here, America. nothing nothing was going to happen. This right. this odorless gas was going to be released. <laughs> no one was going to be in the wiser. People were going to fly home. It would be three days before the reports would come out about illnesses. Like this was, this was yeah. completely – I didn't care if it went off because it was just going to be people getting in their cars and driving away. How inane! They may not even have been seen as terrorism. They might have just gone, "Oh my God, there's this new plague!" Like, unless they claim responsibility for it. Right? Yeah. Like, ultimately, that presume that would play out. But it just it's it's the it's it's the least cinematic terrorist yeah. plot you could imagine. Yep. <laughs> and the least yep. effective what they're trying to do. And also, I mean, it's I like the idea too, but at the same time, I'm like, do we really? Is that really an area where we're not spending enough money? Is that like a, is that a neglected area of the tax budget? Is anti-counterterrorism? Is that something that needs more billions poured into it? Obviously, to a certain segment of the population, yes. Uh, okay. People who make money well, off of it, yeah. Right, but I mean, we, I I think everyone wants to spend money on that. Like, it's not like we have to be like we're already nervous enough. 
Like we wouldn't need a soccer stadium. Kids with their eyes to go oh, like ISIS. I mean, because ISIS isn't really mentioned in this movie. Well, no, I, I, I noticed that. Yeah, it's, it's super. Point. Like this is clearly something that would be as you're watching it unfold. You're like, oh, yeah, this would be an ISIS plot. Right. Right. Because yeah. ISIS gets by by I mean they're just driving trucks into crowds they're doing it with nothing and so it's like watching a movie about a bio plague or a nuke just makes you feel nostalgic it's like watching a '60s Bond movie now because right, right. like, oh remember <laughs> like this was a plot yeah so, so Dingus you wanted to mention the idea so let's talk about Numi Rapace and Dingus you wanted to mention the idea of having a female protagonist you had something to say about that um, actually I was uh, I was really pleased that it didn't turn out to be what you were talking about Tom this this buddy cop movie between mm-hmm. Orlando Bloom. Uh, Why are you hating Orlando Bloom like that? Come on. That's, that's Legolas, Dingus. <laughs> I think it's the only one who, who could have used less. I think uh, Markinson also could have used less Legolas in this. Um, I, I'm just glad that it didn't turn out to be uh, this doofus that she pairs up with who ends up saving her because she's just a weak woman and he has to rush in and save her. Um, I, I, I liked that there was that flip. Uh, and I liked that she took care of herself. She took care of her own business. I, I just like that. That's the way. Not that time. That's Not one of the step. things uh, about the writing of the movie that I really appreciated. That the fact that she doesn't have to be saved by the, this uh, rough and tumble dude, other than in the laundry room moment, which I think was cool. Um, but in the end, he turns out to be, you know, just a mercenary. Uh, and she has to save herself. She has to take care of herself. Um, With a dog and, a, and her black well, friend. Well, you know, I did like the dog revenge, although uh, we have a... No, it's me to the dog. I hate it when dogs are used as... The cannon fodder movies. It makes me insane. Well, I hate I hate seeing dogs killed too. And actually, Keith Leak said something about the the guy with a face tattoo. I, I guess he's talking about dog the guy. dog guy. Yeah. Um, it, that he wouldn't have had a gun because uh, this yeah, is in one, England. Uh, right. He said he, and he has two dogs. Or something. <laughs> um, and that would have played out much differently. So Keith Leak was definitely uh, keyed on that. And, and his motivation's very murky. In that scene, he's a, basically a Deus Ex Machina with two dogs on a leash. It, it makes me wonder if this was a script originally set in the U.S. and for filming oh. reasons, because I presume Dingus, because our friend was in it. Uh, I actually didn't check the credits, but I presume this was shot in Prague. Do we know? It must have been. I didn't either. I didn't check that either. So it makes me wonder: was this a script that originally was set in the U.S. and because they were shooting in Prague and it make it look more like England, like all this stuff with MI5? I don't think you really needed. And they never explain her accent or, or uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Was this supposed to be in the U.S.? Who knows? In which case, it makes sense that the guy with the dogs would have a gun. But I'm with Keith Leith. Guns are a big deal in the U.K. There's a really yeah. cool movie called London Boulevard. And a lot of the movie hinges around the fact that, whoa, there's a gun involved. What are we going to do about that? That's big. It makes a big difference. Um, so, yeah, just casually have some guy whip out a pistol in the in london a huge pistol yeah, yeah exactly it's like dirty harry there what and keith yeah. Lee does say i'm somewhat tired of present day thrillers and london but the thriller was okay and the portrayal of london was good but he does have issue with mr face tattoo having a shooter which is how keith Lee puts it in a little shooter yeah that's, that's mark Wahlberg's name in the movie it's the eponymous <laughs> shooter and shooter my name's shooter <laughs> <laughs> it's my last name 
what do we think of uh, Numi? So even uh, script aside, what do we think of Numi Repace? So I thought she was supposed to be from France or something. Well, she worked in Paris. Was she supposed to be French? I have no idea where she's supposed to be from. Dingus, you know what a French intelligence agent looks like? Absolutely not. Need I refer you to Atomic Blonde? The cute little Sophia Boutella. That's Uh, what French intelligence agents looks like. Numi Rapace was no Sophia Boutella. No, nothing. Nothing in this was Atomic Blonde. (laughs) That's the thing. They we just saw it right after it, so it hurts even worse. But I I say this in a in a backhanded compliment way. Like like I like the idea of a heroine in a in a spy movie like this being kind of mousy and Mm. Mm. you know kind of like that's part of her cover. Right, and she's not. Charlize Theron sticks out like a sore thumb. <laughs> and so, remember, it's, it's not. It's not given that she's a good fighter per se, and so she has to use her wits in theory. Although the script doesn't really stick with that theme. Oh, um, I can't. Dingus Kelly Wand is making me like Numi Rapace in this movie. <laughs> yeah, you, like you'd want her undercover. I didn't and mind her actually. Uh, yeah. You guys are so generous. I cannot. I, she's just so just problem. I thought the I thought the casting was amazing for a movie that really looked like an episode of Criminal Minds. Yeah, uh, it really looked like it was shot like a TV, like a glossy tr- TV movie, um, with all the big screens and all the stuff you know in the in the CIA and the MI5 and all that stuff, and even the stuff out in the out near the lake with this gigantic blue van that's covered by a blanket. <laughs> yeah. Genius. It looked like it looked like a TV show. Uh, but I mean a well-produced TV show, but but yeah, uh, I didn't think she was the biggest problem with this and certainly I mean I was amazed at the number of people that kept showing up. I'm I'm glad I didn't look at the poster because I didn't want to know Orlando Bloom was I wouldn't have wanted to know that Orlando Bloom was going to show up because he was kind of a welcome surprise. I like that you have an interrogator too as a protagonist, but that's right. also what the movie is about. Yeah, uh, but I, I Numi Rapace is just so wooden and flat to me, uh-huh. and I, I like Kelly's sort of unpacking it as, "Hey, maybe that would make for a cool agent," but I don't think that's why people are casting her. And I don't think that's what she's being used for right. or miscast in, like in Prometheus. And so, a guy who did a zombie horror movie, and he's from. Is he Norwegian? There's a movie called Dead Snow, and a, a director named Tommy Virkola. Virkola? I don't know how you pronounce it. It's with a W. Virkola. Uh, right, very good. It's not a Swede. He's not a Swede, because there's a lot of... I think he's just, he's Norwegian or Finnish, and I'm pretty sure Norwegian. Um, but he did Dead Snow. Uh, I think he might have done the Cold Prey horror movie. I don't, at any rate, he recently did a movie, and it's on Netflix, called What Happened to Monday? And it stars Numi Rapace and Numi Rapace and Numi Rapace and Numi Rapace and Numi Rapace with Numi Rapace and Numi Rapace. She plays seven different characters, seven different characters. It's a lot of Numi Rapace. Uh, Like for every day of the week or something? Exactly, Dingus. So the premise is this is a a dystopia where siblings aren't allowed. You can only have one child per family. And the Child Allocation Bureau – hunts down any siblings and freezes the sibling until the other one is grown up and then it un- presumably unfreezes. And it's this dystopia thing where nobody has a brother or sister. Everybody's an only child. And it's uh, – imagine what if – what do you call seven babies? 
quintuplets would be five, sextuplets is six. What's seven babies? Do we know? Is there even a Sept. word for that? It's septuplets. Well, it's yeah. six. Sex. Ah, okay. <laughs> Kelly wanted six tuplets. So there are seven babies born, and Willem Dafoe is like, well, you know, I guess normally six of them go off to the child allocation bureau to get frozen. Uh, I'm actually going to take all of them and raise them and Frank style in a in a hidden attic, protect them from the government, and each one is going to be named after a day of the week. Uh, but they're all uh, going to be under one identity. And on any given day, that sex septuplet will come out and portray this one person. And so we're rotating these seven people through this one identity on any given day. It's it's a it's a it's a bit of a reach for this dystopia they're going for. But where it's really a reach is having Numi Raypace play all seven characters. And what happens, right. by the way, is Monday goes missing. And that's why it's called What Happened to Monday. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's not it's very just good. Six. It's just so what? It's easier, it's easier for her because she only has to play six characters. Well, no, nope. Monday is one of the characters. Monday is in there, and she goes oh. missing. So uh, it's about these other six sept- – the other six Numi Ray Paces have to find out, hey, what's going on with the seventh Numi Ray Pace Monday? Uh, and it has some actually kind of cool action stuff later. But it's Numi Ray Pace trying to also distinguish <laughs> these seven characters. Like one of them is a super oh. butch tough one. One of them is the mousy hacker type. Uh, it's super comic booky, um, and ultimately yeah, not very good. For trying. I, exactly, yeah, and I think it's kind of a fascinating watch, but it's super bogged down by the fact that it's Numi Rapace. I feel because she is so wooden and stilted, and I, I she just doesn't work for me, um, and that, that was for me a big factor in this. So I think what happened to Monday is a classic example of Numi Rapace dragging a movie down, and I felt like that was the case here as well. Well, why do you well, think she's being cast so much? You kind of mentioned that. I think just because that girl with a dragon tattoo is so big. Like she's probably an oh. international box office draw, I would imagine. Maybe oh. I don't know. Was she good in stuff before that that we haven't seen? I have I like how did she get Prometheus? Did she get it on a French role? Well, French presumably stupid? from Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Those are Swedish, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. I, I guess mean, that's a dumb <laughs> Those were big. Those were big over there. They imported over here. David Fincher did a remake with Rooney Mara. Was her first? I don't know about her first, but that was certainly, I think, how most people discovered her. That was like her breakthrough role, right? That uh, can't be what sustains her because she's. I mean, she's. I, so she's, long now. she's not that good. Well, I mean, look at what she's doing now. She's doing Unlocked. She's doing the oh. Netflix movie that. I mean, Tommy Mercola, I think he's great, but he's a genre director. A studio didn't pick this up, Netflix picked it up. Um, you know, she wasn't cast in Covenant, so. Uh, yeah, all right. That's good. Yeah. Point. Ridley so, Scott know, is of this, even. So you bringing that up uh, reminds me of something else that Chris Markinson says in his email is that um, one of the disappointing things for him, and he really did not like this at all, um, he, he, he keeps saying that they can't all be most wanted man. Uh, which, right. Uh, he, he talked about the van uh, abduction of, dog, you know, dog catcher, uh, dog catcher, uh, that moment where they, they grab the dude. Um, he's like, that was okay, but it, it's no most wanted man. But for him, one of the disappointing things is that you don't really get to see it for all this foofara about how she's this amazing interrogator. You don't yeah. really get to see any of it. Yeah. And I wonder if that's because of her abilities or the writing or both. I think there could have been a lot more 
sort of cat and mouse. And that's kind of one of the, I wouldn't say advantages because it's a horrible clunky movie, but that's kind of the point of that movie, Unthinkable, that I mentioned is the over, is it's all about the techniques of interrogation and when are you brutal and when are you not brutal. And it's super over-the-top crazy stuff. It's a little ridiculous, but it's Samuel Jackson and Michael Sheen playing with that whole dynamic. Like, what does it take to be a good interrogator? Uh, you know, Zero Dark Thirty is kind of the hallmark for that. Like, Right. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Like, that that could have... This script... They rushed through it. That. Yeah, yeah. It seemed and like then, it was just like a I setup. Said, that one the, good twist. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It seemed like a setup for that twist and the shootout in the hotel room. And then otherwise... Well, we're then done it turns into every other movie. Yeah. Like, the one thing it was doing well at Scott instantly. Right. right. Yeah, it's like she all she does is go in, ask for a thicker file, and give him a <laughs> soda, and that's about it. <laughs> and then someone calls her to tell her, "Okay, the scene's over." Oh, you're not exact. Yeah, you're not exaggerating at all. Because also, like I mentioned during our Atomic Blonde podcast, I love seeing how people play with interrogation room ah, scenes. Very good. Huh? And so I was expecting some of that here, and no, right. she gets the file and the soda, and then a shootout. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> How about I have so little. So I went back after this and I rewatched Burn After Reading, which there's so many things about that that are super disappointing. But there are also so many things. I love it. I I think I'm over John Malkovich. No, 100 percent over. Like, I just even that. I thought you like he's he's just so abrasive. You know, my problem with Burn After Reading is everybody is so unlikable. There's nobody in that movie, at least in Fargo, like William Macy is pathetic. Uh, Even in uh, Blood Simple, you feel for uh, Francis uh, McDormand's character. But everybody in Burn After Reading is just a complete a-hole. And you're in league with that moronic woman oh even even brad pitt is just such a doofus he's hilarious yeah i know i don't know i think we're to you don't need likable characters to get me on board that's a fair know. point kelly one and it does do terrible thing to all of its characters yeah so to and be fair and it's all leading up to just jk simmons saying that right. just wrapping it up as a staggy dog thing and, and that i like, like the, the whole idea is an observation about the intelligence community i kind of enjoy <laughs> that part of it uh, but i think i'm just really and maybe it's just because i didn't like this movie but i'm just, just i i'm a little put out with john malkovich and and thing is our friend brian casp got a couple of great scenes and i found myself watching it annoyed that John Malkovich wasn't paying attention to him. Like there's right, scenes where too. Brian cast, Brian had to do uh, some exposition stuff. And I was a little bit worried about, Oh, he's just exposition guy, but mm-hmm. no, they brought him in for some other stuff. And there are bits where he's talking to John Malkovich. And just as an actor, I was like, dude, pay attention to the guy working with you. He's trying to yeah. give you stuff and you're just playing the asshole who's ignoring him. Stop that John Malkovich. But that's his character. I thought, I guess so. No, I guess so. No, but he always looks, and I'm kind yeah. of Tom on this because I think, I think, you know, granted, Brian is a friend of ours, but I think Brian was really doing well with that exposition stuff when he yeah. has to hand over a file and has to tell things. I mean, it's a kind of a thankless thing that he has to do. And then he gets to do some more interesting stuff when he's doing phone work, which is, again, difficult. Um, but John Magovich is just like leaning over the chair and looking back at somebody and yeah. like, eh, oh, yeah. life. And John Magovich perennially has started to look like, uh, I'm just putting up with this movie till yeah. it's done. Sure. And, and I don't want to, you know, you can be cute with the bye-bye, uh, which is slightly amusing, I guess. And in a in an in a movie that's this poorly written and and, and put together, uh, I might find that uh, I might find that like a breath of fresh air. Oh, look, John Malkovich is being cute, but he just looks like he's just putting up with the movie until he gets done with it, and he's just going to do whatever he feels like doing. It doesn't matter what the character's up to. But in a spy movie, you're sort of 
stuck in having to act like you may be the traitor for a certain point. Like, I, I get what you're saying, Kelly, but it's just because he does it so often. That. It's because it's all that I'm seeing him do lately. Like, when was the last time he did something where he wasn't riffing on the fact that John Malkovich is an asshole? Right. I, when, I don't know. When, when he wasn't basically playing the character that they were making fun of in being John Malkovich. Right, right. Uh, and he's a good uh, actor, and I, I like his affectations, but I just... I don't know. It just it just occurred to me watching Burn after reading after this that I, I well, just that's, a, that's an example. That's a loaded example of what you're talking about. Well, but when the, is the last it, time? Is it all that right? But when's the last time that you felt like John Malkovich is really doing a cool performance that's and really feels thing. invested in something? I mean, I've always loved him. I mean, but I've never felt the way I felt when I saw him for the first time in Empire of the Sun. Where I was like, who the fuck is this right, guy? Right, right, right. Yeah. Where I was like, gosh, this guy is amazing. And then you get to see him in Dangerous Liaisons, and he's doing something different and a, and, and a little bit weird. Um, but that first character that I saw him in Empire of the Sun, I, I remember that. And when I was when I saw that in the movie theater, thinking, who is that guy? Um, and of late, it's just like, He's an asshole, that too, though, added dangerous. So yeah, but he's dangerous. Weird. And this, it just feels like he's spinning his wheels a little bit. There's got to be something we're not thinking of that he's been in lately where he's really good and he's different and there's a sense of a performance. I just don't know off the top of my head. All right. There was the um, – oh, man. What's the uh, – In the line of fire. No. Is the villain. Oh, well, there what's the Caught air villain. <laughs> <laughs> the Rip, what's the Ripley movie he was in? Oh right, right, the talented Mr. Ripley, Patricia Highsmith thing. I love his his. Uh, oh yeah, he's good at that. And I love his uh, hold my watch. Like there's a point where he tells someone to hold his watch. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was it's the it was the sequel to it was the lesser known sequel to oh. Talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah, Ripley's game. How about? And I cheated. I just looked this up. He plays the um the evil high level bureaucrat in Deepwater Horizon. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. More examples of what you're talking about. I know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's good and I guess that's the thing. He he's that's his meteor. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know the, the guy, you know. So he and Giovanni Rubisi should play like a father and son in a Yeah. <laughs> I do want a buddy movie. picture Dingus. Yeah, exactly. Dingus, I yeah, want that. Case is the movie ruiner. Kelly Wan, <laughs> can you cast them in your henchman movie? Giovanni Rubisi and, and John Malkovich? As long as it's porn. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees when I'm cold in between, counting one, two, three, feet apart, matter free, getting down with three feet, everybody loves open. All right, so sadly, sadly, we did not like Unlocked. Uh, what are you going to do? Take that, it. That's right. Instead of seeing something sure that made $50 million, we watched something that couldn't get a theatrical release. Fuck you, America. We know better. Uh, there's one moment, uh, one more thing that I want to say that Chris Markinson said is that uh, when the line came up, who trained you, he laughed out loud uh, because yeah. he said, we've ruined him for who trained you or where you received Peter Jackson training. trained him. Yeah, Chechnya. Afghanistan, Chechnya, Pakistan. Yeah, that's that's Greg Clark ruined that. Wait, what's his name? Who plays Agent Coulson? Clark, Greg, Henry. Clark, it's Greg. Clark Greg. Yeah. Right, Greg, Greg Clark. Right, right, Greg, comma, Clark. Yeah. Who's the guy then in the James Gunn movie? Who's the grandfather at the very beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy? Is that Greg Henry? Clark Henry? Oh, Greg I, don't, Henry? I don't remember. He was in United 93. He's the grandfather. He's uh, Peter Quill's grandfather. 
I can picture him in my head. I just can't. I don't know. Kurt name. Russell. No, I think it is Greg Henry. I think you're probably right. I, I will accept that answer. All right. All right. Well, let's do a three by three. Dingus, what do you have to say for Yep. What? No. It's good. All right. So this uh, this three by three um, was kind of inspired by watching the movie Wind River that we watched last week, uh, which I think we all liked quite a bit. Um, uh, I it was Trump it, inspiration. And it was also kind of a Trump inspiration. Uh, absolutely, because I did say there was a political component to this because of that. Uh, because of uh, so this 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 topic is about sexual assault and uh, the different ways that it's portrayed, not just as far as rape is concerned, but different ways that you might get your mind around how sexual assault works in movies. And what I tried to say last week was um, when Tom challenged me and right, rightly so, uh, your most effective um, portrayals of sexual assault and i and i don't know that that really works as a way of describing it uh but it's i think it's um it's more moving away from rape although if 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 you need to if if you've included rape in your uh in your choices that's okay um but what I was trying to do as a challenge for me is think of different ways that sexual assault is portrayed in movies um, in ways that maybe that were surprising or might have changed your view of what sexual assault is, which is not a way of encapsulating it in, I love in, my list now. in, in a short and easy way to look at. Uh, yeah, so I didn't. I don't. I don't think I did it right. Uh, I instead, Dingus. Why are we? You mentioned last week taking irreversible off the table, uh, and I was curious about why. Because uh, it seemed too easy, I guess. Um, and I didn't. I didn't want people just to immediately go, "Oh, well, here's an easy one. Irreversible has the worst rape ever in, in the history of cinema, or whatever." I didn't want people just to go to things like that or i spit on your grave or whatever I, I i wanted things that were sexual assault or sexual abuse that were um that were a little more subtle uh or um kind of change your perspective on it and that you've seen in movies that change that might have changed your perspective on it oh uh, well that's not what i did so you when you that's said okay. the most effective sexual assaults uh i was thinking of how rape is portrayed in cinema sexual assault is it's a broad word. It can mean many things. And mm -hmm, right. I specifically am curious about how it's, you know, movies highlight dramatic things a lot. And I specifically wanted to talk about uh, sexual assault as its worst and how it is addressed in movies. Okay. So I want to put irreversible on the table. Can I do that? Yeah, if you want to, that's fine. Because it's when you say most effective, I mean, something like uh, the what's the Jodie Foster thing with the pinball accused or accused. Right. Like. That's that's a sort of a, a, a legal look at what a woman goes through trying to prosecute a rape. And that's, of course, that's that's a powerful perspective and that's has its place. But for me, the most effective ones are the ones that highlight the enormity of sexual assault at its worst, which made me wonder why you took irreversible off the table, because I think that is arguably one of the single most effective sexual assaults in terms of making you feel the appropriate revulsion uh, in terms of situating it in a larger context, um, the way that Gaspar Noe unfolds with a sense of dread that you know this is going to happen. Um, so what I wanted to do with my three picks was 
move backwards through what I think are the three most significant portrayals of sexual assault, and in my case, they're all rape, in movies. And if I couldn't pick Irreversible, I was just going to throw something like Wind River in there because what I like about – well, what I, what's important about what Irreversible does, and it's a hard watch, is it unflinchingly portrays the effect and the dread and more importantly, the fact that sexual assault isn't – that rape is not a sexual act. It's a violent act. Uh, Gaspar Noe is not the least bit shy of making this very clear in that horrible scene. Um, there's nothing sexual about it. I mean there's – intercourse takes place, but it's, it's from a perspective of violence and power, um, and it, it's, it's an assault more than anything sexual. It's, it's a flat-out rape. So I think irreversible – is for me the third most important portrayal of sexual assault at its worst and therefore effective in uh, all of movies. There are two more that I would put up there that I'll talk about in a minute. But if I can't pick Irreversible, I was just going to throw Wind River in there because that's that's a horrible scene as well, and it shows the fallout of it. Uh, you know how how it's not just an isolated event and how it comes out of violence uh, and how it has lasting effect. Uh, Wind River, it's a little bit cheap, and we talked about that in that podcast. But if I could put Irreversible back on the table, I would put that in my number three. If I can't, I'll put Wind River there. Hmm. All right. Well, Kelly Wan, what's your number three pick? Uh, I think I did what Dingus asked, although my number three is a little weird. But I did try to think of sexual assault covered in movies in ways that were odd or curious mm -hmm. in some okay. way or even approvable or just like well you'll see what i'm saying okay right, so my number three is maybe this okay this is the dumb one but it's it's again i've already litigated this point too but it's in hodorowsky's dude when he's referring to uh how? Oh, what wow, did this is book. interesting. Okay, oh, yeah, I just stepped on you. Go ahead. When no, 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 no. Up. I'm glad you remember because I, I was worried you were going to go. No, no I remember. Not, I, we, talked to, okay. we talked about this during a mini penny, I think. Yeah, I brought, yeah, yeah. And I brought this up multiple times with women, and they all stare at me like I'm, I have a turd hanging out of my ear. But I still insist that I'm right, and I will go to my grave insisting I'm right on this because there's a scene in Hodorowski's Dune where he's talking about making a uh, making a movie of dune frank herbert's dune and near at one point he makes he's describing how he changed the book uh, which is what uh, a lot of filmmakers do with artistic license and he uses a rape analogy and he goes Dude, I, I, I raped the book, but I raped it with love. Because when you, if you on your wedding night, if you make love to your wife, you won't get the son. You have to rape her, but with love. And it's this, I, that comment to me is okay. A, it's a, it's just a metaphor. It's the same thing as like when you murdered a book, but or when you rape. Or when a, co a comedian kills an audience. Right, exactly, and if if rape is a, is a violent action, and I, like I don't see why that phrase is objectionable in that context, and yet whenever I mention it, it's like, oh boy, that was unfortunate that he said it like that. It's like I knew exactly what he's saying, and my question is like, do you know what he's saying when he says that? And if so, what's the problem? I think the problem, and I I can't speak for someone who has a problem with that, but I, th I think what people would say is that it minimizes the severity of rape. Uh, is it by reducing it to a metaphor like that? It's it's kind of robbing it. Would you say that that's true of, of where you go? Oh, he, he murdered the ball. So I wouldn't say that. 
difference. I, because, I mean, I don't necessarily have a problem with Jodorowsky saying that. Uh, I do have a problem with the word being used casually, but if Jodorowsky really wants to use that analogy, he's more than welcome to. But I do understand why people would have an exception with it. I, as a man, and this is something we'll talk about in a minute, but as a man, I don't understand the concept of rape in the way that women do. It doesn't have, it's not as loaded with meaning for us as it might be for women. Uh, so I don't pretend to say, yeah, Yodorovsky can do that. No, he can't. I mean, I feel like it's in weird taste and I feel like there might be a cultural issue there. I certainly wouldn't say that. I would be uncomfortable hearing that. Um, and I can understand why people would take issue with it. Um, but I can also understand, Kelly Wan, why you want to defend it. Uh, yeah, and I think it's a word. I mean, it's just – It's a it's word, a word but it's a word. And the way he's using it makes perfect sense in the context of what he's saying. It's a word kind of like the, the N-word in that I don't – from my own personal experience, I cannot claim to understand how other people feel about it. And therefore, I am willing to acknowledge that it has certain meaning for other people and that I, sh I want to honor that. I'm not going to use the N-word lightly. I'm not going to uh, talk about rape lightly. Dingus has been helpful for me. Like, I used to make jokes about, hey, that's retarded all the time. I will still use that sometimes, presumably thoughtfully. But there are certain words that have meaning for others that I want to respect. And I think that's what's going on when people would object to Jodorowsky describing the adaptation of Dune using that word. Uh, I think I get it, too, but I don't see why I'm the only one who sees what he's saying. Well, you're not, not. You're not. You're not the only one. It's just you're not yeah. the only one saying. Yeah, you're not yeah. the only one. All right. Because I've never. Right. No one's ever backed me up on this that I've ever been just like, oh boy, he said that. Oh, well, I could. I wouldn't. I wouldn't back you up, but I could understand what you're saying. I understand why you're saying that, but I would disagree with you. Uh, I. I don't think that Jodorowsky should. I think that Jodorowsky, as a man, is not understanding the severity of that word. I don't think. You know, it's like Bill Maher using the N-word and just making a joke about, uh, I'm not a house nigger or whatever that was. In that context, yeah. he thought he was being funny, and I, just a lot of people really feel audience like it's not laughed. A The audience laughed, sure, and some people didn't mind that he used it, but he also decided, you know, that was inappropriate. I shouldn't have done that, yep. and he apologized, and I agree. I agree he shouldn't have done that. The N-word has too much meaning. It's fraught with too much significance for too many people, and Bill Maher should honor that. Uh, he should respect that. And I feel the same way about rape. I wouldn't talk about adapting the work sloppily or in a way that I disagree with is, is raping it. Um, I think that but minimizes. Not making it's been done before, sort of a, though. Some sort of a sloppy analogy about raping your wife with love. Yeah, that, is, mean, that doesn't make weird. any sense. That's, that's I it's, didn't, it's disgusting. I, I saw that as a cultural thing, and I didn't see that as how he necessarily spent his wedding night, but something sure. like they used to do in the old days. Well, if you but remember – It makes no more sense than what Bill Maher – it makes no sense. You know, if you have to rape your wife, you'll rape her with love. That doesn't make any sense. It, it does. I, I do it think thing is that there is some weird cultural and age thing because I remember when Gerard Depardieu in an interview – and I forget who the interview was with – admitted, oh, yeah, I've raped women. What like I I don't think that Gerard Depardieu like he, I I have no idea what he meant by that but I remember there being a ruckus like really you've raped women and there's this idea that maybe a, a French man of his age might think of it differently than other people maybe not but it was a weird thing to say and it was very culturally specific for Gerard Depardieu to so casually admit oh sure I've done it when I was younger um so I there's definitely some weird cultural thing going I mean you know. 
20 years ago, if you said, oh, I raped the source material, I don't think it would have been as big a deal. Um, well, there you go. That's my point. And the fact right. that it's just – and th- that could switch back, and people go, oh, look, they used to be really hung up about stuff like that back in uh, – I would in hope it doesn't. Century. I would hope it doesn't because I think there's a – I would hope it does because it's okay. a word that's I – mean, I mean it depends on the context. If we're talking about an actual rape, <laughs> it's one thing, but if to use right. it as a metaphor, it's the exact same thing as saying I murdered the book. It's not be- just because, Kelly Wand, I would say the idea of murder is something that is, is kind of universal. The idea yeah. of rape is something that I cannot pretend to understand the importance of that to other people, specifically so women, was a woman specifically victims. If he was a woman and he'd said it, would it would have been okay? No, nope, I would have felt the same nope. way. I would have felt like it was a weird choice of words because, uh, again – and, and some people might consider this being politically correct, but there's this idea of triggering, right? That if I use a certain word or a certain phrase, that certain people get triggered. And people who want to fashionably dismiss that as social justice warriors, who want to be dismissive of political culture, uh, they use triggered dismissively. But I think that that is a legitimate dynamic, is that certain people are triggered by certain concepts, certain words. And I feel that as long as it doesn't impact the way we use language and the way we communicate, I feel that certain words we can honor as being things that trigger people in a different way. And yeah, I would feel that way about rape. Yeah. Well, but his his whole take on Dune was very metaphysical and weird and trippy. Sure, and I sure. think that that's part of who he is. And so if you're that meticulous – like if you're that careful about what you how you express yourself so as not to offend people, the movies will suck. Well, Jodorowsky is also – I think it has more to do with him being old and Polish. Like, that's true, too. Exactly. I mean, if your grandpa says it, it's, it's you know. I don't do you think it's the same way, though, Kelly Wan? Just as, as a thought exercise, would you feel the same way about your grandfather calling black people niggers? It depends on how he'd say it. <laughs> no, it just – <laughs> Bill, and Bill Maher, by the way, has, has done a whole, like, apology tour, basically. I mean, he had Ice Cube on his show. Yeah, and I Ice saw- Cube fucking dressed him down. Yeah, um, you just can't. You're just not allowed to use it. But the and, other guy, uh, his other well, friend. Well, I, you know, I talked about it when I was talking about um, favorite hip hop songs on uh, another podcast that I did. Um, oh, I was a friend of ours. I can't, rem- I can't remember the name. It was like your favorite song um, podcast. Do you remember the name of that podcast? But anyway, uh, I said, "Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna use that word. I'm not gonna say N word because I I subscribe to the Louis C.K. kind of thing. It's like when you say N word, you're just putting that word in my head anyway. Right. So it's just a just an excuse for like a, a white person to get to say the word without having to deal with the consequences. But if you're quoting something or talking about it, that makes more sense. But that's not what he was doing. He was just making a cheap joke. And you know when well, you say joke. like. <laughs> An old, an old Polish dude doing that. This is something that, and that I actually, I actually did on this podcast at one point. I, I actually um, did a knee-jerk reaction to something that Tom had done. Uh, Tom had said about one of my topics that I didn't like the way he was dealing with it, and I said, "Tom, you, you're raping my topic." I remember that, Dingus. I'm so glad you remember that. You're and, a jerk. And it was, <laughs> I expect it was an apology a, tour, Dingus. It was apology a, tour. Oh, Jesus. It was such a jerk, dick. It was a terrible thing to say. It was a terrible what? way to use that word. It doesn't make any sense to use the word that way. And it is totally insensitive to what the word means. Uh, but it was a knee-jerk reaction, and it was, it was something that I felt terrible about afterward. 
It was, there were it comments was a terrible so way I... to use it, but you, Joe, I think Jodorowsky is using it differently when he's saying you rape your woman with love. That that's something he's thought about. That's not something. Well, he, he, he makes a out. gesture too. He hand gestures with his hands. Like, you rape the woman with love. So you know, I felt terrible doing that. I felt terrible after saying it. I was like, why did I even? It's <laughs> a horrible thing to say, and it's a horrible way I to just... use it. And Tom talking about it as a triggering triggering word is right on the money. Um, it, I did see know, comments. Oh, what did ahead. you say? Well, I did see comments after the Mars thing by black people going, "This is such bullshit!" Like he just did this joke, and it was a Gone with the Wind reference, and this is like. Like, like, like he did have defenders who weren't offended by it. Well, I just thought it was a dumb joke, but uh, I thought it was funny. <laughs> but I, it's, but I get it too. And it's like if it's, I don't know. In the context it was given, and it was, it was, it was sort of a. I mean, it was a setup. It was what the guy said right before it, the Nebraska guy. Right, yeah. but he wasn't setting Bill Maher up to use the N word. No, Bill Maher weighed in on his own with that. Yeah. Right, but it, that was like I thought the line even before he said it. Like I go, oh, you could do you could do a nigger joke here, and then he did it. And then there were there was laughter. And then they just moved on instantly. Like the guy, the guy was just like, all right, that happened. And then later it became a thing. But even when I saw it, it was like it didn't bring the episode to a screeching halt. And it's way different from like, you know, some like cracker on AM radio, like screaming, "Would Jews will not replace?" Like that kind of shit. Like that's not what he's doing. There's a huge difference. Well, and of course, it's not but it doesn't. Know. Right, right. There is a difference, and yeah, nobody and would defend. Context matters. Yep, absolutely. And that's my point. And so that was to me is one of the, and I think that's what Dingus was hoping to explore with this as a topic is like how sexual assault is covered in movies we've seen that's changed our opinion, like you said. And so that to me was a, was like a, a landmark moment. I think we can all agree that old Polish creative minds with weird uh, perspectives on Frank Herbert's works will uh, maybe offend some people when they talk they about will, it. They will make poor dinner guests at the <laughs> uh, Gloria Allred um, <laughs> seminar. Dingus, wow. what's your third example of your topic? Alright, this is uh, so far away from what we're talking about now that it's not even funny. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, that's okay. Uh so this is something that was brought to light having seen um, this uh, particular movie uh, with uh, my girlfriend Alexandra. And it kind of – this is what got this topic going in my head a couple of years ago. And this is from a movie called Your Sister's Sister from 2011 that we did for the show. Uh, it was directed by Lynn Shelton. So um, the quote from it would be, I'm a really bad person. And this quote is said by Hannah, who's played by Rosemary DeWitt. And so um, Alexander's contention at the time, and I understand this now because sexual assault is uh, any type – I mean it's defined as any type of sexual contact or behavior that doesn't have explicit consent. Um, w- what happens is that uh, Mark Duplass is, is going to this cabin to get away, and um, – uh, his girlfriend's sister is at the cabin. He's not expecting that. They hang, they hang out. He's kind of down. She's kind of down. She's just she's a lesbian. She's just broken up with her girlfriend. We don't know why yet. Um, they get drunk and uh, they end up hooking up that night. They end up having sex. Um, and then later in the movie, what uh, 
what transpires is that he finds out that she has used this sexual experience to try to get herself pregnant without his consent, without telling him that. Because he's wearing a condom, but she's poked holes in the condom. And he finds this out after taking the condom out of the trash and testing it and finding all these holes in it. So she's poked all these holes in it to try to get herself pregnant uh, without his consent. Um, this is kind of treated, uh, you know, I don't want to say in a light way, but um, in a Duplass way in this movie. Um, and of course, at the end of the movie, uh, all of this resolves weirdly, but you should see the movie because I think it's worth seeing. And I think it's a good, um, I think it's a really good Lynn Shelton movie. Uh, but that, uh, the idea of this and a couple of my picks are, uh, along these lines, not, um, not so rapey, but more along the lines of, um, how consent has to be given explicitly and he wasn't consenting to have the, have a baby with her. And she tried to basically what I think there's a line in the movie where he says, you were stealing my sperm or something like that. Um, uh, but how this, uh, translated as, um, sexual assault without violence, it's, it's not violent, um, and it's interesting to me that, well, you know, when, when Tom was bringing up how irreversible is, or uh, even um, Wind River are, are acts of violence, um, this is an act of, of sex without consent uh, in that particular aspect of it. I know, I know we disagreed on some of this, Tom. Um, but uh, this is my number third pick, your sister's sister. All right. Uh, my number two pick, and again, these are just, uh, these are all e- extreme examples. Uh, I think in Deliverance in 1972, uh, <laughs> the, I- well, the, the idea that a man can be raped. Like, I, yeah. I think in the 70s, you know, I, I mentioned I, I wish I could think of the movie. Right? I recently watched some 70s movie where the main dude just whacks a chick on the ass like at his job. And she thinks that that's really funny. And I forgot what the movie was, but I just remember thinking, man, that's that's what dudes were like in the 70s. Like that yeah. was a thing that a, a, the main character who's supposed to be likable could just do to a woman. Uh, For centuries. Right. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. Not just the 70s. Yeah. So it, when John Borman makes Deliverance, uh, which is based on a novel, just this idea that 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 rape is something that can happen to men because it's an act of violence. The rednecks in Deliverance presumably don't find Ned Beatty attractive. They're not doing that because he's hot, because they want him. They're doing that as a way to demean him, as a way to violate him. Like prison. And unfortunately, it becomes a, it's, it's since then become a bit of a punchline, this whole squeal like a pig thing, uh, which I think is unfortunate because Deliverance is really a horror movie about being outside of civilization and, and what can happen. It's one of these... There are a lot of horror movies about, hey, we go out in the woods and we're outside of a city and anybody can do anything. And it's the law of the jungle and there can be murders and rapists and killers and monsters and stuff out there. And Deliverance is of that ilk. It's that kind of horror movie. And it specifically invokes the idea of sexually violating a man uh, and how uh, it's it's very much rape. uh, And how rape isn't just something that can happen to women because it's not just – it's not even a sexual act. It's an act of violence. So uh, I think that that's an important milestone in the way that, that rape is portrayed. Uh, and I kind of wish, not wish, but 
I find it interesting that de- so Deliverance is John Voight, uh, Burt Reynolds, Ned Beatty, and Ronnie Cox, uh, and they're they're off on a, a hunting vacation. Uh, I almost wish that the movie the movie would have made a stronger point if one of the alpha males, like specifically, if that had happened to Burt Reynolds, like imagine that in Deliverance, but instead it's Ned Beatty who's the schlubby, hapless one. Uh, they probably one- did find Burt attractive. Well, I, don't, I mean, just seriously, though, imagine that in the, the narrative context, because yeah. Burt Reynolds is the guy like when he breaks his leg in that movie, it's like, wait a minute, that can't happen to him. He can't be incapacitated. He's going to be the hero who saves them all. Uh, like there's a bit of a subversion there. But gee, like what? Like that would just have so much more impact if that's what had happened to Burt Reynolds, or even John Voight's character. Yeah. Um, but that's not where the script went. Fair enough. But at any rate, I, I think, think that, I think that makes a lot of sense, actually, because there's a lot of dominance behavior that we're talking about instead of sexual behavior yeah well that, that again that's figuring out who the alpha is which right. is what they did in Wind river and then dominating that person uh, in that particular way as you're talking about with the burt reynolds character makes a lot more sense yeah now and taking narr- the weakest guy out narratively though that at this point burt reynolds and john voight like they've been separated they're in separate canoes so the rednecks only catch ronnie cox and ned Beatty. And between the two of them, I, I mean, I guess like like it wasn't an option as far as the plot with uh, Burt Reynolds and, and John Voight. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, that, that would have made a difference. So there, there's my number two. And, again, I'm just doing most effective in the sense of uh, most intense or most historically significant. That's a great one. All right. Well, Kelly Wan, what is your number two pick for this topic? And and you got to hand it to Ned Beatty, too. Like that's one of his some of his best work. And it took a lot of stones to do that. And. I mean, when you, now that you mention it, I'm I, I'm really hard pressed to think of another another movie where a guy gets raped on screen. I mean, like dig it like, like uh, it's prison. It's a trope in prison movies. Uh, right. I, I I will want. I actually this is a runner up, but you guys haven't seen it. Um, it's a weird movie, Kelly Wan. It's a movie for you. Uh, there's a movie called Let Me Make You a Martyr. It's a really weird title. I love the cast. I love the direction, but. It, it involves, and it's very much a physical domination thing and not at all a sexual thing. It has a really stark scene of a man being raped. And why this happens and who does it and how it happens is a significant part in this really weird movie. Uh, so you're right, Kelly Wan, it's not something common, uh, but it's definitely something that does happen in movies. And, and if it, go ahead. Well, there's something in a hugely popular movie that. You guys don't have an, another one of these, right? Uh, like a no, dude no, no, being no. raped in a popular movie? I do not. Uh, I do. So yes, hold that thought. Yeah, hold that thought. All right. So I do have one. All right. Well, Kelly, what's your number two pick then? My number two pick is from the motion picture Gone with the Wind when it's not shown on screen, but it's strongly alluded to that Clark Gable rapes Scarlett. He gets super drunk and he threatens to strangle her and then he winds up carrying her upstairs. And then the next shot you see is her stretching delightedly the next morning like she fucking loved right. it. It was like the best sex of her life. And women love that. Like they have no – if you quiz them about Gone with the Wind, they go, oh, that, oh, yeah, that's so good. That was the best part. Like she's – I totally know how she felt. And then Clark Gable comes in and apologizes to her. He's like, yeah, sorry about last night. That was uh, – Bad behavior on my part. And then she's kind of bummed by it. Like, she likes him till he apologizes, and then she's like, really? It's like, so, I don't know more of that tonight? I don't, I don't know. That, I haven't seen this movie in forever. How do we – what implies that it's that it's a rape? 
Uh, she's she's done, and he he takes her up in his arms and says, "We're doing this." And he walks her up yeah. the stairs, and she's she says, "No." I mean, it's it's very clear that what's going on is that he's just going to take her, and it's too bad right. and she doesn't feel like it. And it happens in the book too. It's that very that it's very very clear that what's happening is you know Jodorowsky's rape. But then yeah, the idea is that she's going to rape her with love. She comes around afterwards, and she's she's into him. Like that's what no, goes the, on in the movie. The, the next shot is the morning. Her stretching out and going, oh, oh fuck yeah, that's the spot. But it is you're right. It is the full Yodorowsky. Except no, no, it's not because she hates him. She's not into it at all, and he's not raping her with love. Oh, he's either. kind of trying it's, to like tame her, right? Yeah. And it works. But then. And he's drunk as shit too. And then, so the, the interesting thing to me is just that women don't mind that historically, like at the time and since. They'll watch Gone with the Wind and watch that part and go, "Oh yeah, it's Clark Gable." Well, isn't that a facet of of like bodice rippers, like that that whole romance thing where and it's someone handsome, it's a super handsome, glamorous movie star in a Civil War period piece, two beautiful people. What were you gonna say? I'm sorry. I shouldn't. Oh, just that. I mean, that, that, that it's it's this glamorized version of, of romance that you find in some cheap little romance novels. Uh, that, that a the, woman wants that a woman wants to be taken. Right? Yeah, and a woman or, wrote the novel in which that scene takes place. Like, oh yeah, we you, you get it, girls, don't you? But I remember the first time I saw Gone with the Wind and thinking, ugh. Yeah. Although by that point we've gotten to know Scarlet well, and he's like they've had history, and you're kind of surprised it hasn't happened sooner. Like they never had drunk. Like they make a child before that, don't they? Isn't Bonnie Blue before that scene? Oh, I don't remember. There's a character like, named Bonnie Blue in Gone. Yeah, Island. that's their daughter. <laughs> she she named her daughter the- Bonnie Blue. Yeah. Her name is Scarlet, and the little girl's named Bonnie Blue. Clark Gable names her, I think. Rhett Butler does. You haven't seen Gone with the Wind? No, why would I see? I mean, I'm sure I saw it a long time ago. It's an old grandpa movie. Why would I see that? Because it's fun. It's weird. It's like three hours long. First of all, it's probably not even in color. And she's great. She's a great character. What? Vivian uh, Lee is Scarlett O'Hara. The book's great too. I love Gone with the Wind. I'm a big fan. It's great. Show. Like, you, you read the book? Wow. I read the book. I read the book in high school in a week. Like I read it, like I couldn't put it down. Like the pages just flew. I was like, "Oh my god, this is the fucking best book I've ever read." So good. I'm serious. It was a great read. If you're in high school, don't don't miss Gone with the Wind. It'll change your life. Great book. I don't know great if book. I've ever known anybody who actually read that whole book. Really? I tried to read it. Yeah. Oh wait, you didn't. How far did you get? Did you get past the Tarleton Twins at the party? I don't even remember. I mean, my main thing is that I love the music. God, I love the. I love everything. I love both. I love both their characters. I love the book. I love the movie. What's I the love music the music in Gone with the Wind like. You're just making noise. I have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> no, it's the okay, let me, let me reproduce. Here's the music for Gone with the Wind. I'm going to reproduce what I just heard you do. Ready? Any person, any any woman in the world would pick that instantly as Gone with the Wind. That's Gone with the Wind. All right. Now watch Gone with the Wind and see that you'll see what you'll see that I'm right. That's the theme, iconic theme. Who did the music? Is it Max Steiner? Is it Herman Mann? I can't remember. I'm looking in my records right now and I can't. I'll sing it for you. 
Tom, right before the intermission, she takes a carrot out of the ground. Oh, and and oh right. She says, I'll never go hungry yeah. again. Never yeah. go hungry ever again. I'll never dig up another carrot or not have carrots to dig up, right? And <laughs> the handsomest man, the handsomest rebel. God, and there's a part where a Yankee, a Yankee comes into the house to rape her, and she shoots him. Spoiler alert. Kelly Wand, frankly, I don't give a damn. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> I might re- read that book. You're getting me really hot for it now. <laughs> All right. Well, Dingus, what is your number two pick for this? <laughs> the way you said that, the way you said, I'm getting really hot for that now, you sent it yeah, just like Kevin Costner. Didn't stick it with the vapors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kevin Costner is our Scarlett O'Hara. What? In the postman. What does that even mean? The same gown. Alright, so uh, my uh, second pick, uh, here's a quote from it. Uh, I swear I didn't mean to do that. And this is from a movie um, I thought about actually watching Unlocked. Uh, so this is from a movie called Towelhead. Um, oh, I haven't seen this. I've heard of it. Uh, the other title that is less offensive is... There's a word. <laughs> uh, Nothing is Private uh, is the other title for Towelhead. Um, and so this is um, uh, Travis Vioso, who is Aaron Eckhart's character. Uh, he has hired this... Uh, this girl who's moved in next door, um, who's Lebanese and he's hired her to be a babysitter for his kid. Um, and she's just on the cusp. She's a teenager. She's in high school. She's on the cusp of, uh, understanding her sexuality and she steals one of his, uh, one of his porn magazines. I think it's a penthouse or something. Um, and she takes it to her house. Uh, and he comes over to confront her about the way he's dealt with her, uh, her charge, his son, um, that you're not supposed to hit a kid, but he's also come to collect his, his magazine back from her. Um, and in doing so, uh, he and she get into, a sexual situation where he's like, go get my porn magazine, go get it. Um, and she turns away from him and they're right up against each other. And he grabs her breasts. Um, and she's a minor, she's a high school kid. Uh, and he gets carried away and pushes and opens her pants very slowly. It's very weirdly filmed. Very uncomfortable. This is a hugely uncomfortable scene and a hugely uncomfortable movie. But uh, I still like the way the movie uh, is written and the way the movie is is, uh, is directed. Uh, and he slips his hand into her, um, and uh, and she's she's. There's this. I'm sorry. So much detail. Well, there, there's a lot. There's a lot to deal with here when, when you're right. when you're dealing with this kind of level of sexual assault that I'm talking about. I know. Um, he's an older man, and she's a, a young girl who's in high school, and he should know better. He shouldn't be doing this because he's using a position of power over her because he's an older man. Uh, but she's um, uh, there's the way that the 
the scene is filmed so that the actress, um, who is uh, Summer Bashil, I think it's her name, um, is taking a certain amount of pleasure from this, but is also in pain. And she tells him to stop because you're hurting me. You're hurting me. And he's too swept up in the moment to stop what he's doing with his hand down uh, inside of her. And he pulls his hand out uh, and turns around to kiss her. And he sees that there's blood on his hands. And he realizes what he's done, that, um, that she's a virgin or was. And he's put his fingers inside of her when she didn't consent for him to do that. And she didn't know how to do that. And then he's like, I did, I did not mean to do that. And he exits stage right. And she actually goes toward him and says, no, don't leave. Don't leave me. Um, so there's this weird component of sexual assault that also deals with the victim almost bonding with the attacker in this particular case. And this is an older man who shouldn't be doing this to uh, his babysitter um, neighbor girl. So anyway, I just, I really like the movie Talhead. Like is probably the wrong word. I appreciate it. Uh, it's a tough watch. Um, but anyway, there you go. Talhead's great. I have no problem saying I like it. Like it's a great coming of age uh, from a woman's perspective, which, you know, Alan Ball directed it and he's, I think it's yeah. one of his better works. Uh, there's another movie that it actually reminded me of called Diary of a Teenage Girl. Have you seen that with Belle Powley? No. Uh, what's that? That's really good. It's basically a, it's another version of Towelhead. It's like the it's a coming of age movie for a young woman. And it's not at all shy about the perils of sexuality for someone her age. Uh, Belle Powley is really good in it. Uh, it's Alexander Skarsgård, Kristen Wiig. Um, no. but I really like Diary of a Teenage Girl a lot. But it doesn't have the cultural component, I'm guessing. It does not. No, it is not at all about a Lebanese woman. All right, Kelly Wand, what is your no? No, wait. Where are we? It's you, I think. Oh, yep. my number, number one, one pick. All right. So obviously, this is uh, uh, it's if I'm going backwards chronologically from Irreversible to Deliverance, one of the movies that I think laid the groundwork for uh, thinking about. Uh, rape in movies. This actually comes from a 13th century Swedish ballad, uh, and it's Ingmar Bergman's Virgin Spring. Uh, it's from 1960, and the rape scene, it, it's not graphic in the sense of, like, showing stuff, but it is graphic in the sense of it doesn't cut away, and it's all there on the screen, and the guys who uh, who rape um, Max von Sydow's daughter, like, they they show everything. She's not naked or anything. Uh, but it's a super graphic, uncomfortable rape. And Virgin Spring casts rape in the, uh, again, like the, you can imagine the 13th century ballad. It casts rape against a much larger, almost fable-like structure. And that Virgin Spring is about religions. It's about guilt. It's about atonement. It's about revenge. Uh, and it, it brings rape in, and it clearly shows... You know, it, it's not shy. It doesn't have to imply it like in Gone with the Wind, apparently. It's very clear what's going on. Uh, and I think Virgin Spring is an amazing movie. Uh, the rape scene is really difficult to watch. What's striking about it, too, is after the so it, it's it's about a young lady. She's going to deliver candles to a church and she comes across these. I don't know if they're shepherds or if they've stolen somebody's sheep. I think the, the implication is they're just wanderers or bandits, and they've stolen someone's sheep. 
uh, and they're posing as shepherds. But at any rate, she's very kind to them, and she shares lunch with them, and they, they rape her and then murder her. Uh, and after they murder her, they take her clothes because they're going to sell it. Like she's wearing nice, expensive clothes. And what's really striking isn't so much how Ingmar Bergman films the rape scene, but after she's been killed, when they're taking the clothes off of her, it really plays like hunters stripping an animal, like skinning an animal. And she's like she's being skinned as they take the clothes off of her. And it's really brutal stuff. Um, but what then happens in Virgin Spring is it becomes about uh, and this is often the case with this becomes a whole genre, this rape and revenge genre. Uh, Virgin Spring also concerns itself with the idea of how do her parents respond and how do you respond to the, the grief and the, the tragedy and the shame of all that. And it brings up religious themes. But the problem with Virgin Spring is what comes afterwards, how it spawned this whole genre of rape and revenge movies, specifically this jackoff named Wes Craven makes a movie <laughs> called Last House on the Left, which yeah. is clearly, clearly, and I don't think he's been shy about saying this, it's him doing a modern version of Virgin Spring and completely missing the point of Virgin Spring and turning it into a lurid exploitation movie. And pretty much, not everything, but most of the rape and revenge movies since Virgin Spring have just been exploitation movies. And yeah. exploitation movies, I love horror movies, and for the most part, if a horror movie wants to exploit gore or violence or fear or whatever, that's fine. But movies that exploit rape without any meaningful payoff or without any meaningful input into the subject or context they become like rape porn like you're not supposed to be horrified by it when I think it was uh, Chris Webb who wrote in about Wind River and not liking it what these movies do is they use the rape so that you approve of a horrific act later in the movie uh, yeah. right, it's, right, the, the right. rape is used as, as a justification for revenge and then yeah. the point of Virgin Spring is how even though he's doing it out of revenge, Max von Sydow's character is conflicted about what he's done. And there's this whole idea, too, of ritual atonement and preparation for it. And, uh, you know, the, the, and, and the critique of a lot of rape and revenge movies is they focus more on justifying the revenge rather than any meaningful observation on the enormity of rape. So Virgin Spring holds up, and it's a great, great movie, and it's beautiful, and it's poetic, and it's painful, and it's it's a it's got that difficult scene, and the actors are just lovely, and it's it's beautifully shot, and the way that it invokes religion, and the way that it contrasts the different characters as foils against each other, it's a great bit of work that has been followed by people who had no concept for what made it good. Uh, Wes Craven mainly, like Wes Craven, those early seventies horror exploitation movies that exploit the shock value of rape, those things are trash, utter, uh, absolute trash. And I defend a lot of horror movies, a lot of what people will dismiss as torture porn. I feel it's unfair. Uh, but but rape exploitation, and I think that's actually a term, that stuff is trash, and I have no use for it. Wes Craven, fuck you for Last House on the Left. Uh, the Whoever did I Spit on Your Grave, and that's even been remade, that stuff is junk. Absolute junk, and Go back and watch Virgin Spring instead, because those what movies have no. What about Straw Dogs? Do Straw Dogs, by the way, is not a rape and well, the rape in Straw Dogs is really weird though, Kelly Wan, yeah. because it's a woman with her ex boyfriend, and she feels bad afterwards, she feels bad during, but it's not. Dustin Hoffman's character is not raped, 
Susan George, actually, in Straw Dogs, she abandons him. Like, she abandons his cause, and he's on his own. Uh, the ending of Straw Dogs, he is without her. Like, but he don't is, they rape her? Don't the, the fuckwads rape her? Uh, I thought it was. I, I might that. be confusing the the, the likes- remakes. I know that it's just the main guy, like the alpha male, does, and that's what she's into. I, I forget Kelly one to be perfectly I'm not honest. talking about the Marston one, just to be clear. No, no, I know, I know. The original Sam Peckinpah with Dustin Hoffman, which is a great movie, uh, but it's not a rape revenge movie because it's not about Susan George. Well, that's, that's the thing. He gets his revenge on them raping his property, i.e., Susan George. So it's kind of a it's a peck and paw take on. I mean that's what makes the movie kind of disturbing. But well, it's, it's, it's yeah no it's uh, Straw Dogs is dark nasty stuff yeah right, absolutely right, right. but I, I wouldn't consider it like I Spit on Your Grave or Last House on the Left I don't or yeah it's art. I mean well, uh, and the acting is great yeah isn't Irreversible basically that in the extreme just cleverly edited very good quite very good Dingus uh, I would say no because. These movies are all about making the audience feel justified about watching a horrific thing, making the audience. And I think this is how uh, Chris Webb put it in his critique of Wind River. It, it's uh, making the audience cheer for a terrible thing being done to someone. Uh, irreversible Gaspar Noe doesn't even he doesn't do that because what you find out in the context of Irreversible is there's no revenge the life that was destroyed. There's no any sort of redemption or revenge. The wrong man is killed. And the the woman who loses her child in the rape, she's not avenged. Her, I, th- I think they're married. Her husband presumably will go to prison. He's got his arm breaking. He's being carried out for murder. Uh, there's nothing for you to cheer in in Irreversible. Irreversible, Gaspar Noe is so, like he's so about flipping the middle finger to the audience. He's so confrontational and just just sort of cruel to his audience. Uh, Irreversible ends with, I think, a title card that says, Time Destroys Everything. But the weird thing is, he just showed us a movie about how rape destroys everything. There is no revenge. There's no redemption. Uh, Instead, there's this horrible act, and we are shown the context, the lives that it destroys. Uh, Whereas in Last House on the Left, it's about this family. Oh, our daughter was raped. Let's have a great time, like, murdering her rapists. Um, and and let's let's have the audience glorify the terrible things that happened to the rapist in the remake. Uh, yeah, the remake of Last House on the Left. Garrett Headland. No, not Garrett Headland. Who's the Garrett we like? Garrett shoot. Dillahunt. Garrett Dillahunt. Thank you, Kelly Wan. He's uh, the main rapist, and the whole payoff in that movie in the remake of Last House on the Left. And I forget who the hero is. Is someone bland and handsome like James Marsden or whatever? might be Martin Donovan, whatever. The whole payoff is they rig up a microwave oven where you can turn it on without closing the door and they stick his head in it and turn it on. <laughs> and that's the point of movie. Like, that's the big payoff in the remake of Last House on the Left is, yeah, we're going to blow up Garrett Dillahunt's head with a microwave oven. That's just so facile. It's just so that's inane. It's terrible because he'd be... Uh... I would be like, which button do I hold on? Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm thinking that too. Hold on. How long do I put him on for? I'll hit the popcorn button. No, yeah, it's like that scene in Lego Batman. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Very good, Tom. Very good. Yeah. And so then the I, spinning his head around slowly. <laughs> yeah, is the turntable under his head? Yeah. 
<laughs> it's so it's so dumb. But anyway, I love Virgin Spring, and I think it's really informative to see how it's been misappropriated since then, and how glibly rape has been used in these rape exploitation movies. Uh, and I think it's important to go back and see what miss what what it should have been, like the way it should have been done. Um, well, now they don't make those movies anymore, so maybe that's like they don't make rape exploitation movies. They do. No, they do. Last House on the Left and I Spit on Your Grave have both been remade in the last five, ten years. Yeah. Oh, they all right. I'm dumb. Uh, and there are there are lots of like I can't think of any off the top of my head, but there are lots of people making cheap, crappy, like grindhouse type movies that have rape revenge stuff. There's a there's right. a, I think is there another Death Wish coming up. Like Death Wish. Yeah. I think his family gets murdered, but I think there's a rape involved in that. Uh, the interesting thing, by the way, is. Uh, in Virgin Spring, she's raped and murdered. Uh, I think in the the remake of Last House on the Left, and I, I don't actually remember in the original Wes Craven one, uh, they don't kill her. I uh. think. There's this whole idea of, oh, it's terrible. We're just going to rape her and then leave her alive so that she can get the revenge. I forget vaguely. But, but part of Virgin Spring is that it's a rape and then a murder. Uh, and later so that- in rape exploitation movies, they just care about the rape mm-hmm. what about the evil dead tree does that count <laughs> i actually so I, no no don't shut up uh have, you tell me kelly Wan, does that count how do you feel about that scene well regrets it now but i think it's just part of the lore like i saw it when i was young and now i just take it as part of the that's what the evil dead are. They're evil. Right. Their trees rape you. That's just part of what they do. And so I think it goes with the movie. And I don't think it's it. It's it not really shown. It's more alluded. It's supposed to horrify you. Right. And it's supposed to be creepy and weird. So I think it's effective. Um, and and so I think I'm you're right, though. That I think directors would tend to. Well, I don't know. Like it, 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 definitely a lighthearted movie. Like the original Evil Dead isn't as lighthearted as the later ones. Like right. I think Raimi is being kind of in earnest about how this stuff is supposed to be horrible, even though it's it's goofy in retrospect. Uh, and uh, like the way rape is portrayed is also a, a facet of the times. You mentioning Gone with the Wind. Uh, right. Like what's happening when it's when always been with us. He made the original Evil Dead. Right. You know, rape was portrayed a different way. And if you want to rape the blonde heroine with a tree, yeah, that's a fair game. Sure. And he's and making it. an exploitation horror movie. He's pitching right. that. And he does it in the same Raimi way, like in Evil Dead 2. She's raped, and then the the roots, like, drag her, like, super Sam Raimi, like, through some mud, and then they suck her into, like, a giant stump. And then that's the last you see of her character. And the thing is, it's not, like, I don't think it's highlighting the rape. It's just another yeah. thing the demons do. And I'm okay right. with that. Like, if you can be okay... Yeah. With Jason cutting off someone's head, why is uh, like Jason well, does? Pretty tree. But yeah, exactly. Like why not on tentacle porn then? A demon? I don't know, Dingus. That's a good question. Like that's also that's a. I don't know a lot of anime, but that's apparently like a common thing in a whole strain of anime. It's like octopuses raping people. Right. Uh, and again, love I, I don't. I don't think that that minimizes actual rape because. Octopuses don't actually rape people. Like that's a weird, horrific. It, it's fantasy. It's fake. Like it's not actually about rape. It's some weird subliminal. Do, supposedly. Thing. What does? Dolphins supposedly rape. I read that. I think in a Frank Zappa book. 
Well, I don't know what that has to do with like tentacle rape. But again, if you're going to have horrific <laughs> stuff in your horror, have horrific stuff. But rape exploitation movies that that focus solely on a rape as a means to make you feel better about something terrible that happens. That I think is trashy and that I just don't care right. for. But if you want to have demon trees rape someone. That's I'm a okay. challenge. I mean, I'm okay with that in the original Evil Dead because of the tone. I don't yeah. think it would fit in no. the other Evil Deads, which have more of a lighthearted, hey, we're going to beat up Bruce Campbell and it's going to be wacky. Right. Uh, you know, if the trees had been, if that had been more explicit about ripping the woman's clothes off with the trees, that would have just felt out of place. Uh, what's the What's the Christopher Walken alien movie? Uh, communion. communion. Yeah. yeah. Communion. I've never Does seen it. I want to see it. I know what happens to him in it. But did, did they do it on screen? Have you seen it, Dingus? I, I haven't. But but what Tom just said made me think about that. I mean, is that on par with what he's talking about? Like, I don't know if, why they do it. They're going to stick probes up of his up his up his ass. I mean, like, part of that. They're his friends, though. They're so it's a it's a meat cute. Uh, I think Dingus is right. This whole idea of a- anal probes is again, it's kind of a punchline for UFO abductions. But I also think it's a you know the whole idea of UFO abductions is a latter day secular version of like demons or gods kidnapping people and fairies. Zeus raped a swan. Uh, yeah, fairies Zeus, exactly. There's, Zeus there's raped shitloads of people. Yeah, there's a Zeus there's is idea a major of, rapist. Uh, there's this idea of succubuses and incubuses, which are demons that sexually violate people. And I think that's what this whole idea of anal probing in UFO abductions is. So, Dingus, your point about uh, uh, communion, I bet, is absolutely true. Yeah. In the Bible, uh, Lot is gives his daughters for the crowd to rape instead of the angels, and the angels go, "Thanks, good work, you live. Appreciate that." <laughs> Yeah. A lot of weird stuff in the Bible, Kelly Wong. Get it? No. <laughs> oh, a lot of. <laughs> All right, where uh, are we? Uh, your turn, Kelly Wong, for your number one. Yeah. Pick. God, this is a tough one. Right. I think I'm going to bail out disclosure because it sounds really boring to talk about right now. But I still have two really cool ones, and I can't pick between them. But I guess I'll go with the one of them, and then remind me to do a, uh, an alternate later. Or what do we call them? Runner up. We called them runner, runner up. up. Thank you. Except your bluff. So my number one, I guess I've called. It's a tie, but the tiebreaker. I guess I'm going to go with rules of attraction. At the beginning, uh, Shannon Sassamon is a college student, and the thing that strikes me about the scene is the rape's not even the worst thing happening to her in the scene in, in, in her opinion. Cause it's like, she has VO over it and she wakes up to find herself on a bed. Uh, she's been unconscious and someone's having sex with her and another guy's filming her, a film student's filming her. And then she goes, Oh my God, I'm losing my virginity. And it's to a townie. And then he throws up right on her back and then it freeze frames. And then it's like, well, not just a rape, it's the worst night ever. And then for the rest of the movie, nothing happens as a result of that. It's just like another night in her life, but the night she got deflowered lamely. And so, uh, I don't know. Right, Easton That's Ellis, how the movie right? Is. Yeah, yeah, I do like the movie. <laughs> uh, I haven't read the book of Old Lady American Psycho, which I really uh, liked. Who, who directed that? Do you know if he... Uh, Roger Avery. Oh, the Killing Zoe guy, right, right. Yeah. And... Freddie Stone said that's the best adaptation of my work because he doesn't like American Psycho, the movie. Right. But he, and he doesn't like Less Than Zero, but he likes Rules of Attraction. So anyway, 
that one kind of stuck in my mind because it kind of reminded me of that Sam Kinison bit where he's describing like a necrophiliac or a victim of necrophilia. Like he's dead and he's depressed. He's like, oh, great. And then, now what? And then someone starts having sex and he's like, oh, really? It's that seriously that too? Ugh. Rules of attraction is kind of like that. All right. So that's my number one, but maybe my alternate would have been better. So All right. We'll save that for the runners up. Dingus, what's your number one pick? All right, my number one is uh, here's a, here's a quote from it. One of the small pleasures, taking your boots off. So this is from a movie called Red Road. Uh, it's a 2006 movie. It was directed by Andrea Arnold. Um, and I actually have come to really like this movie quite a bit, having watched it a couple of times. Um, Andrea Arnold has directed a movie that we have seen called Fish Tank. Uh, this is a movie of hers called Red Road. Um, and so Kate Dickey uh, is um, Jackie Morrison. And um, this is kind of, you know, when we've been talking about rape revenge movies, this is kind of a rape revenge movie set on its head and then turned sideways. Um, because... Uh, Kate Dickey's character is this CCTV operator who uh, identifies this guy who gets out of prison in her area of purview where she has to watch um, as the guy who killed uh, her family, essentially who killed her daughter uh, by running her over um, or getting into a car accident. I can't remember quite which. I just had to watch. I could only watch a couple of scenes from this movie and I really do like it. And she decides to get revenge upon him by getting close to him. Uh, and then, um, having sex with him, uh, taking the condom and, uh, this is all her plan. Um, pretending that he raped her, smacking herself in the head with a rock, uh, pushing the semen up into herself um, and going out and being in front of a CCTV camera and then accusing him of rape. So she's using, because he's he's been let out of prison early uh, on sort of, not work release, but uh, for good behavior is the word, I guess the term you would use. Um, but if he does anything wrong, he's going to be sent away for good. And so her plan is... Um, I'll accuse him of rape. I'll be able to prove it. He'll be sent away for good. And this is her revenge for him having killed the, his, her daughter. Um, and so the actual sex scene is quite amazing. Um, It's an amazing scene to watch. I mean, Red Road is a really, I think, a, a really good movie in a lot of ways. And the sex scene is really amazing to watch uh, because he's he doesn't understand what's happening in this scene, but she has a plan for it. Her whole plan is to set him up. Her whole plan is to um, send him back to jail. But she is still clearly, uh, at least the way the the scene is shot taking pleasure from what's going on. And she even taunts him after he, um, he pleasures her orally, uh, to try not to 
devolve into locker room talk as we sometimes have. Um, he, she says, do you want to fuck me? And then he says, yeah. And she's like, well, what if I say no? And, and then they have this playful, weird sort of, well, then I guess I'd have to force you. And then she's like, I don't know, but it's this weird back and forth that goes on where she's trying to make it look like it was rough, but she's still having sex with him, but under false pretenses. And this is part of what I was going for with this whole sexual assault thing being uh, not explicitly consenting. And he is this guy who's trying to straighten up his life. He's really trying. Uh, he's made mistakes in his past and he's trying to, to go back into like a straight life. He has this sad little apartment and he's carving this huge stump into this cool like thing. Cause he's, he's, he's got rough hands. He's carving stuff and he's also working a job. Uh, he's really trying to straighten out his life and she's taking revenge on him by using sex to do so. Uh, and then accusing him of rape. So I think Red Road uh, is my number one. I love both of those actors, Kate Dickey and Tony Curran. Great. Yeah, Tony Curran. Thank you for saying his name because I love that guy. I think he's amazing. The the scene between the two of them, especially the, any of the scenes between the two of them, but Kate Dickey in particular, I could watch her do just about anything. I love her. Uh, there's a really dumb movie called – it might even be called A Shuttle – uh, so there, there are horror movies about pretty much anything. There's a horror movie called ATM about people who go to an ATM and get locked in the little uh, – and terrorized in the little glass booth thing. Uh, the movie Shuttle is a horror movie about those uh, shuttle buses that pick you up at the airport. Uh, and it ends up being, <laughs> what if the shuttle buses were really fronts for white slavery and they kidnap people and then ship them off to be white slaves. And Tony Curran plays the driver of this evil shuttle bus. Um, but the cool – it's a terrible movie. The really cool twist that I'm going to go ahead and ruin for you is that he's actually a nice guy and he feels bad about doing it. And it's it's perfect casting for Tony Curran. It's kind of like what he plays <laughs> in Red Road where he's a villain. He's a bad guy, but you can tell he meant well and it just didn't work out so well for him. And he's kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time, but still a decent dude. Uh, so he's the kind of reluctant villain killer with a heart of gold in Shuttle, which taps into our fears of airport shuttles. Dingus, what do the listeners have for this topic? All right, we have Keith Leith, who says, Greetings, this topic wasn't grim enough, so my choices are linked to actual real-life sexual abuse. Number three, Class Reunion from 1982. (laughs) The movie opens with an hilarious, thank you for the Anne, Keith. The movie opens with an hilarious prank played by the preppies, or the swim team, or the glee club, I'm not clear on the deets of the cliques. Am I supposed to say the deets of the cliques? Um, For some reason, a duped student's sister agrees to abuse her brother while wearing paper bags for the amusement of carloads of other students. Naturally, he becomes an institutionalized cross-dressing murderer with hilarious consequences. The sister's fate is deemed unimportant and not shown. Chuck Berry is booked to celebrate the sex crime at a class reunion with his apropos 70s hit, My Dingling, <laughs> in reputation terms, one would think this is Chuck hitting bottom, but he would face more bottoms in the years ahead, plumbing new depths until his career went down the pan. 
Sometimes I think Keith Leith is just making up movies. He's a good writer. Yeah, he is definitely a good writer. So Keith Leith's number two choice, Snowtown. From uh, here we go again. A working class single mother strikes up a relationship with a neighbor who exploits her easily won trust vis-a-vis her children. Luckily, Daniel Henschel is here to save the day. In a community adrift from society's protections, he is the hero they never deserve. They neither deserve nor need, but the one they get. Like Wolf Creek, it's based on real events, but the documentary style is even more unsettling than Wolf Creek's horror. I can't imagine being something being more unsettling than Wolf's Creek, Wolf Creek's horror, but all right. There's I've never sequel. heard of Snowtown. Right. It's a sequel and a TV show. It's a series. Really? Wolf Creek, yeah. There's a series of Wolf Creek? Yep. It's called Wolf Hall. I think you're getting it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it must have ghosts on it, too, because it's got wolves. Keith Leith's number one is the Magdalene Sisters. Peter Mullen. From 2002. This film shows the exploitation of child slaves in laundries run by the Catholic Church in Ireland. Fallen women, i.e. young girls, start, young girls looked at, flirted with, impregnated, abused, or raped by men, were imprisoned often well into adulthood. Yet the laundries only ceased operation in the 1990s after the discovery of a mass grave. In my chosen scene, a priest celebrating mass has had poison ivy put in his laundry. As he runs off in agony, stripping, it's apparent that a young woman with learning difficulties has abused, he has abused, is also affected. She reacts by shouting, you are not a man of God, repeatedly, to the discomfort of the congregation and eventually the viewer. Writer-director Peter Mullen. Um, she, the actor Peter Mullen, Tom? Yeah, yeah. Chooses to hold on this far, far longer than one would expect for almost a full minute. Even the musical score gives out best. Have you seen this? Um, oh. I don't know. I don't think so. I just know of it. I mean, I love Peter Mullen. Kelly, one, you, yeah, you've seen it? No, I want to. Rather appropriate. Kelly, one, right. have you seen a Peter Mullen movie called Tyrannosaur? <laughs> What? No. Do you want to? Yes. Can I tell you something about it? Yes. There's no dinosaurs in it. What? I know. So it's like the lobster. What a tease. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like Jurassic World. It's a Peter Mullen movie that Patty Considine directed. Uh, and there's no dinosaurs. I'm just warning you. If you do watch it, don't expect any dinosaurs. That's mean. Is there sexual assault in it? Tyrannosaur is not. That's not what it's about. It's about. Uh, basically a guy who's a total jerk played by Peter Mullen right and he's as much of a jerk to be compared to to a tyrannosaur what's that tree of life could have just been called dinosaurs and then you right dinosaurs less ripped off head stepping dinosaurs yeah Yeah. so like so it's like that those dance movies you like the warrior dance movies (laughs) step up street battle step up sure yeah street steps dance battle very aggressive dance. It's a way to solve conflict. Next, we have Aiden Keys. Mm. Hey, oh, quarter three. This is a tri- tricky topic. I tried to avoid strip rape scenes and could only think of a couple. I hope the topic spurs some good discussion. I can't think of what to say about it here. 
but Aiden's uh, one of his choices is Kids. I've never seen uh, the movie Kids. Yeah, I know what he's talking um, about. So Aiden Key says the entire plot of Kids is spurred by Telly Leo Fitzpatrick convincing virgins to sleep with him. He is HIV positive and neglects to mention this to any of the young women he sleeps with. Heard rumors of someone who did this at the high school I went to. And I think Harmony Corrin. Is that how you say it? Yep. Uh-huh. Not a chick. Um, yeah, right. Oh. Was probably inspired by things that were really happening among teens at the time when he wrote kids. Um, next, Aiden Keys yeah. chooses. Aiden Keys, Bird. by the way, you should see a, a, a Simon Rumley movie called Red, White, and Blue with uh, Noah Taylor, Amanda Fuller, and. Um, oh, yeah. We saw that. We did a podcast on it, I thought. We did? I we think did. so. No. Oh. We did? All right. Did you done. guys watch it? Oh, we did not? Okay, because you guys should see it, especially you, Kelly Wand. So yeah, you've seen I it. Okay. That. Is uh, what, Scoot McNary in it? No. <laughs> All right, I'm done. Uh, Noah Taylor plays a CIA interrogator, or does he? Bum, 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 bum. Yeah. Unlocked. But uh, it's what uh, Aiden's um, – uh, it's similar to what Aiden talked about. Oh, say. the or does he reminds me of another movie. All right. Anyway, uh, Aiden Key's next choice is Birdman. Edward Norton gets an erection on stage during a sex scene with Naomi Watts and suggests and tries to really do it. A struggle ensues because Watts clearly doesn't want it to happen, and she still has to come out from under the covers and finish the scene with Keaton. Norton, I think I'm hard. Watts, no, you're not. It's just that sometimes you don't consider other people's feelings. Norton, no, I'm I'm hard. Feel that. <laughs> Best picture. Uh, thank you, guys, Aiden. Yeah. Uh, next we have Arthur Giovangeli. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Number three for Arthur is Super. Ah, uh, I thought of that too. I was thinking about it. Played for uncomfortable laughs, but Ellen Page pretty much rapes Rain Wilson. He's Cage annoyed in her. Bolty costume and makes Wilson put his mask on along with making him do other things. <laughs> He's like mildly irritated, like, oh, come on. No. That's great. Arthur's number two choice is Watchmen. The hmm. comedian attempts to rape Silk. Oh, that's right. Attempts to rape Silk Spectre after a superhero photo shoot, but is stopped by Hooded Justice. The scene is brutal. But this brutality serves a big purpose in the plot as these two characters later willingly conceive Lori, and that fact, fact amazes Dr. Manhattan to such a degree that he cares about life again. Neil Gaiman. Once you've had blue. <laughs> um, um, and Arthur's number three, Once Upon a Time in America. After hmm. Robert De Niro gets turned down by his childhood friend Elizabeth McGovern, she tries to comfort him on the drive home, and he gets carried away. He rapes her while she screams in protest, and the driver of the car does nothing. The scene is hard to watch and completely heartbreaking. I remember feeling an oppressive loneliness after seeing it for the first time. The final image of a lone De Niro is haunting, an image that is heightened by the fanta- fantastic score. Yeah. Is that Union Americani? Who does that? You, you can rape to it. Oh, Kelly. <laughs> you were doing so well, Kelly Wong. You really so were. Well. I was so proud of you, young man. 
House nigger, what? It's a good joke. Oh my, there he goes. Uh, it's like a dam is broken. He won't stop. It's too many, too many things. Sorry, Kelly Wan, you're being very good. Uh, it's, it's, I can't. It's so hard. It's, it's, I'm hard. No, not that kind of hard. Alex Burns is next. He says, hey, ding-dongs. Aw. See? I think he's talking to you. That's my name for it, too. I'm on the road again, so I didn't really have time to rewatch any of these picks. Eleni helped me pick out, helped me out quite a bit. I'm counting on you three to help us recount what happened. Thanks, Kelly, and sorry, dingus. <laughs> what just happened? I don't know. What was the... the what, okay. See what number I said. Three for, number three for Alex Burns, The Witch. Oh, wait. Probably wait, one of what? the most... Probably one of the most intense scenes from the movie. The witch uses her sexuality to lure in a young boy. Her transformation oh is frightening and shocking as heck. Maybe getting pulled over the more I think about it. Maybe getting pulled over the more I think about it, so I'll just speed ahead. I wish I had that boy's problems. That's all I gotta say. Kelly one, who played the witch? Sarah Stevens. Sarah Stevens. Yep. Sarah wow, Stevens. You had that on the tip of your tongue, didn't you? Uh, I wish. She's a Victoria's Secret model. Like they definitely just for that one scene they cast her. It's like you're yeah. gonna play the witch in this one scene, the rest of the movie we don't need you. <laughs> She's Australian. If that helps. Alex it's Burns number two movie is Teeth. <laughs> I have I've heard of this movie and I haven't seen it. I know what it's about and I really want to see it. I'm interested to see what he says about it. Okay, because I, I saw it actually at Sundance in the night screening. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so Alex Burns says, "Teeth, the whole movie. I mean, uh, the movie is named after some folklore called the Gina Dentata. Hey, yeah, yeah, mama. Yeah, 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 yeah. I haven't seen this in eight to ten years, but if I had to pick a moment, I believe there's a scene of her and a victim under a waterfall or near a lake. Also, this is an example of a sexual assault as well as a sexual defense. Woo, getting the shivers here. So the one I would have picked probably would have been the moment in the kids' pool, although it's two kids just messing around. I don't know if you can call that a sexual assault. In size doesn't matter. I got that. I got that killing one. <laughs> Thoughtful silence. Alex Burns number – you've seen Teeth yet, Tom? I have, yes. Alex Burns, also number three pick. So he has a three, two, and a three. Uh, the Shining – I mean, sorry, The Shining. <laughs> Does Tom think that the bathtub scene in this movie is worthy of a number one spot? Um, um, Tom, Wait, please why, He's this. asking me, Kelly Wan. Why are you umming? I Just believe I was – Yeah. <laughs> I just want to hear. I'm trying to predict what you're going to say, but I, I'd rather just listen. Uh, no, I don't. I don't. It's not a sexual assault. It's like a, a luring. It's it's a succubus. Like it's a weird ghost, pretending to be a hot chick, to seduce a dude, and uh, it's part of like winning him over to the side of the ghosts, right? But if she was really evil, she would have waited until penetration and then gone. Uh-huh. Oh right, because when he finds it, she's like a gross corpse. I see. Right. Yeah. But it just uh, no, takes the difference. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't think that. I, you, I'm certainly not pulling anyone over. It's not my topic for that. But uh, I would not consider that a sexual assault any more than uh, it's. It's a mirage, basically. He's into. He wants to do it. Look at his crazy grin. 
Yeah, it's like a dude seeing uh, an oasis who's lost in the desert. He wants the water, and he's tricked by the oasis, which is a, a vision put up by a genie, probably. She just uh, lied Lord about her age. She lied about her age to him. That's all that happened. There you go, Calimond. Yeah. So his next line after asking Tom if this is worthy of the number one spot is, "I'm sure Kelly has been on this date." Oh yeah, every except, but I'm usually as her. Um, and my dates, my dates are him. They feel. I like. saw this for the first time at age fifteen, hanging with a high school crush, with no idea what we were getting ourselves into. Safe to say, we both did an equal amount of squirming, and not in the way a fifteen-year-old boy would hope. Thanks, dads. Um, <laughs> next, we have Nick D. Hi, guys. Interesting topic, guys. For my picks, I decided to go on a potentially controversial direction. Scenes of sexual assault in comedies. I'd like to refer to these as, oh, you little scamp scenes, and I hope my sarcastic tone comes across in the email. Oh, I thought of a good one. Good work. Nick D's number three, The Wedding Singer. Drew Barrymore is a waitress at a wedding, and as she walks around serving drinks, a hand reaches out and grabs a handful of her ass. She turns around in shock to see it as an is an old man who makes kissy faces at her. There's no other context for the scene. Ah, uh, aren't horny, horny old men funny? <laughs> did you Nick guys D's, ever see... Oh, okay, go ahead. I'll did we ever see what? Did you ever see Dirty Work, Norm MacDonald, maybe? I, I know about it from you talking about it. I've never seen it. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yep. There's like a scene where... He's in prison, and there's just a scene of him getting up and, and standing up in the cell and talking to his cellmates, and he's just been raped. And he's like, that's a disgrace. I can't believe that that just happened. I'm, I have a half a mind to tell the warden about this. Like, he's, like, outraged. But, like, never mind. It's funny. It's well, he's got stuff. a riff in his stand-up comedy about, you know, prison would be great if it wasn't for the anal rape. Like, he's that's a yeah. whole riff that he does. Yeah. Really? How yeah. do you know about his stand-up? Norm MacDonald? He's great. I yeah. love Norm MacDonald. Yeah. I love Norm MacDonald. Yeah. He transcends. You don't really care for stand-up comedy, mostly. Who does? He's I don't. You, don't you? No, I mean, good stand-up He's one of the comedy. best stand-ups ever. Yeah, I think Norm MacDonald is great, and I, I think he transcends Saturday Night Live. Like the, what, he's, he's, he's better than where he came from. Yeah. He's a great writer. Great writer. Well, I do. I, re- I, do, I have listened to a couple of uh, episodes of his um, of his podcast, podcast that he's doing now, and I think it's a pretty good podcast. Yeah. Now, now, Dingus, if you were to mention like Dane Cook, for instance, he's as good as his roots, <laughs> and he doesn't even come from Saturday Night Live, right? <laughs> All right, Nick. These number two is the Breakfast Club. Ted Nelson, while hiding under the desk from the vice principal, decides to stick his face between Molly Ringwald's legs. She, of course, can't say anything without giving away. And hilarity ensues. And what's more, the two of them actually wind up together at the end of the movie. Yeah. Aw, aren't See? bad boys cool? Mm-hmm. Is it, is it, did you hear a crunch sound? Or am I misremembering? You're thinking of the movie Teeth. Bad. You might be doing it wrong. Or scary movie. All right. Nick D's number one, Wedding Crashers. In the midst yeah. of the wedding scam at the Cleary family mansion... Vincent Vaughn wakes up to find his arms and legs tied to the bed with Isla Fisher straddling him naked. 
She tapes a sock in his mouth and rapes him. Bitches be crazy. I mean, isn't that what every every guy wants? To wake up with a sex star chick on top of him. It's funny because it's true. And it's her. But they're rapists, too. Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn in that movie are fucking rapists. Uh, For the record, I'm not saying we need to frown and fold our arms while everyone around us is laughing at these scenes. I just think that if you laugh, maybe also think about them and why they might be problematic. Cheers, Nick. Uh, Case by case. Chris Markerton. Oh, this is an excellent one. Damn it, Chris. All right. I had a difficult time with this topic, so only two picks for me this week. Number two. In the movie, it follows. There are only Uh, times where characters have sex knowing that it might lead to unfortunate consequences. I would suggest that all of the times that a character has sex in the movie, it should be considered sexual assault. Since consent might have been much more difficult to obtain if the people were aware of the consequences. This is an excellent one, I think. Uh, also, the, the the follows monster does it to it, it rape kills the the handsome doofus one. Well, when she oh, goes in the, I, I'm thinking about when she goes to the boat. The boat, yeah, yeah. But she goes there. Well, ah, see, it's tricky because she goes there to get assaulted in a way. Because she comes back and she looks like she's no, been, no, she's she's assaulting she's, them. This is a really interesting thing. Yeah, because yeah. it's so woven into the mythos of what's going to the of the of the movie that it makes it scary. It's great. It's a great pick. It's, great. it's exactly what you were talking about. What you wanted yeah, to yeah. have. Chris too. totally hooked into it. I mean, that's uh, yeah. He really got it. Yeah, it's perfect. Good work, Markinson. Yeah, really good. So, yeah, better than my dumb shit. <laughs> Are you just saying thoughts? Oh, no. I mean, it's a great pick. I don't think that, I mean, my interpretation of the movie, it's not about sexual assault. It's about uh, discovering sexuality and how terrifying that can be. I think you could consider it also maybe about like venereal disease, a metaphor for that. But uh, in the mythos, yes, you have to unwittingly transfer this creature's attention through sex. But uh, I don't know. I mean, it's a great pick and it's certainly worth discussing. But it's not how I would interpret what it follows is tapping into. Well, Sexual assault kid, is sort of a byproduct of how, of how you transfer this by by necessity, like you said, Kelly Wanda, the mythos. But I think the movie is more uh, just about sexuality, about discovering sexuality and the, the fear that comes with that. See, yeah, that's the subtext. The loss of innocence, it, in a way. The yeah. text is there's a monster that actually cares who you're having right, sex sure, with and sure. kills you. Know, like, oh. So it's, it's sex is a big part of it. sexual assault is a big part of its uh, diet or something of its text yes and its it mythology yeah. yeah but as far as movies about sexual assault I would say it's more about sexual discovery development loss of innocence yeah. that sort of thing uh, but no it's a great pick and it certainly uh, uh, makes for a great discussion sure yeah I love that pick Chris okay uh, Chris is number one um. There's a point in the movie High Rise that one character drags another into a bedroom. Yeah. You don't see what happens in the bedroom, but you see the two characters in the next morning on their apartment balcony, and you can see the damage, both physical and emotional, that has been inflicted on one of the characters. That makes for a very powerful scene. I, I don't yeah. remember what he's talking about because I confess 
to not getting high rise the way you guys. It's did. mustache guy. Yeah, it's Luke Evans and Sienna Miller. What's her name? Yeah. Yeah. Sienna Giller. No, Sienna Miller. No, not Giller. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Giller. No, it's. I mean, it, high rise. I, I've said before, and I'll stick by this. I think high rise is a masterpiece about the collapse of civilization, and it definitely does not shy away from, you know, sexual appetite uh, and how. When it's unchecked, their brutality that goes along with it. And yeah, it's a heartbreaking scene seeing her dragged, literally dragged across the floor by Luke Evans. And Luke Evans is great in that as well. It took me two viewings to get High Rise. Yeah, me too. Me too. And sort of, I, I think there's also a bit of an extending of the metaphor with the way he is spearing a fork into a can of meat afterwards. There's just yeah. sort of this idea of a guy devouring flesh uh, unceremoniously. Just like, it looks like, like dog food. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, I think that is what they're eating at that point is dog food. Yeah. And the fact that it takes place after the rape, this idea of spearing meat and just to, to uh, joy, without joy, like he's not doing it for yeah. joy or pleasure. He's just doing it because he, you know, he needs food. Right. Like he needs, he's, 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 yeah, exactly. He's sating an appetite. There's no nourishment. There's no pleasure. There's no joy in it. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, I, 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 I mean, yeah, Ben Wheatley, uh, that guy can do no wrong other than field in England. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. I bet you do. <laughs> All right. Our, it's got nails in it. Knights? Yeah, it doesn't have knights and archers. Uh, it wants to, but it doesn't have the budget for it. <laughs> <laughs> it wants to. It's got grass. It does PG-13 for deal. wanting to have knights. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, our, our final uh, listener uh, submission for 3 by 3s is from Chris Webb. Uh-huh. Um, I'll first mention Zapped as an example of a movie it's a sexual assault for laughs and titillation. Yes, it does. Please talk for a long time about this complex film. Uh, I haven't seen it, so that'll have to fall to Kelly Wand. Well, it's Heather Thomas, so it's okay. And she also gets on board because she thinks he's going to be rich or something. And he just take, takes pictures. That's consent. Is that the one he's talking well, when, about? No, when he pops her her sweater open, that's... Oh, yeah, that is sexual assault, I guess. But it's telekinesis. There's no rule in the rule book. You look, you show me in the police code where it says you can't use telekinesis to open ladies' clothes. Can I use, like, fishing line? Yeah. To pop, to pop a button on a girl's sweater. It's you, can't, you can't use CG, but you can use fishing line. Right. It depends on the girl, obviously. It does not. What's the question? Right. Nothing. Um, Chris's, Chris's main choice. Main choice is from the movie "Not Waving But Drowning." Uh, um, 2012 release and just 262 years. I like that title. Have you guys heard of this? "Not Waving But Drowning." No, that's a great title though. It's evocative. Let me set the scene. Our 18-year-old pr- protagonist Adele is in New York City and goes out at night for drinks and dancing and MDMA. Is that a drug? Uh, Is that D? Fuck. There's the one from Infinite Jest. I always get mixed up. I get the initial ones mixed up with LSD. Is that E? Is MDM? All right. With a girl she recently kind of befriended and the girl's friends. After a while, they move the party to the rooftop of a high rise. The soundtrack now transitions to a 
slow, quiet piano piece with the repeated lyrics, I love you. The young folks are shown dancing and making out and generally living the lives of young white hipsters who believe they are invincible and who are in the midst of a profound and life-affirming night. But for Adele, things get out of control when the guy she's making out with on the ground gets on top of her and begins to have intercourse with her. I say intercourse because her face goes through a range of emotions in the sequence, and while it is clearly rape in the end, it is confusing scene. It is clearly assault in the end because once her face begins to showly to, to show a feeling of horror, the attacker firmly covers her mouth with his hand and turns her head away. The alcohol and drugs use drug use cover the scene in a fog of unreality. Adele ends up just wanting to forget what happened that night, and the in, incident ends up just being a thing that happened to her, inessential to the plot which feels very organic. In this instance, the assault is sad and awful, but not a tragedy. Tough topic, Dingus, but I finally found a chance to use this topic for a 3 by 3 Use this move for a 3 by 3 You did a fine job describing mm-hmm. it, Chris. Thank you. Yeah. And then he brings up 20th Century Women, which I don't think either of you two have seen. I have not. No, I have a... All right, so it's I'm not going to... Right? I'm not going to talk about what he says about it because I think you guys should see it. Will will eventually see it, um, and I think he's right about it. So I'm not going to bring it up though. So 20th Century Women, what he's talking about is uh, an interesting version of this, and uh, I'd rather talk about it after you see it. Uh, I feel so bad that's for it. Him. I don't feel bad for him. He knows he, that he knows you. You ding dongs haven't seen it. He probably wrote something really thoughtful, and just because I haven't seen the movie, though, he gets. No, he was careful, but I'm being I'm being overly careful. I'll watch it this week, and then I'll you don't read have what to. he wrote. Watch what, what watch what you want. All right, all right. That's any runners up, guys? Oh, Kelly, one. Yeah, you said you had an alternate or a runner up. Yeah, this is my almost my number one. Uh, I really like the one in Excalibur at the beginning. Because um, what's going on is Uther is basically raping Igraine to produce Arthur, and Merlin has used magic to make it look like he's her husband. Ah, uh, all right. And from, so the he's raping of, her. from the director of Deliverance. Deliverance. Yeah. And that's Borman's daughter, by the way, playing. Oh, right. Randy I forgot Randy. about that. Yeah, really weird. Yeah. Yeah. And he said on the commentary, he's asked con- a, a lot, like, did that bother you? Your, your daughter's getting raped on screen. You're in the, and he's all, well, no, it's fiction. Um, and then it's a scene that's <laughs> acting. So I hope he know, answers with that tone of voice, know. Kelly Wan. <laughs> uh, he said it just kind of British and courtly about it, like, yeah, okay. you know. What are you gonna do? Like he he found it surprising and like you know it's some camera crew sitting there. It's not like a rape go up. Like I didn't see it in those terms. So well, even during the movie, she's not like she's. I mean, she thinks she's with her husband. Right. Yeah. So it's not like a, a traditional rape scene where she's. I mean, it's like a woman having sex with her husband, but we as the audience know up oh, magic. She's being tricked. Right. That Merlin's in on. Merlin's the pimp. And Merlin is so weird. Merlin's super weird, but the, he has a weird relationship with his lady. Frankly, and my, Arthur, f- yeah. my favorite Merlin, I don't think anyone has topped Stanley Tucci's Merlin from Transformers The Last Night. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> that was not Merlin. The next movie, Kelly Wand. 
The definitive Merlin. Merlin and Excalibur. Nicole, Nicole Williamson. Williamson. Yeah, yeah. A, a fruity, weird British dude who's just who's just laughing it up. He's just completely irreverent and goofy. Yeah. Apparently, disliked Helen Mirren, and so that helps. What? Them. How could you dislike Helen Mirren? That's weird. I don't know. They he, they didn't get along, and so then and she also uh, had sex with Liam Neeson on the set and made a man out of him. Apparently, like you do. Yeah. So, Excalibur. Go watch it five times. Instantly, if you haven't seen it. <laughs> no, Excalibur's terrible. What? Uh, never mind. You. Wait, so Gone with the Wind and Excalibur are not Tom Chick stamped approval. Well, I haven't seen, I don't know enough. I mean, I'm sure I saw it one a long time ago, but I don't I don't know Gone with the Wind. I could not speak about it with any authority. Excalibur, you know, like Excalibur? I do think is... Pretty ridiculous. No, when I was a kid, yeah, but rewatching Excalibur, you're like, oh, that? I did, I liked that. I thought that was cool. Just weird things about it. We've talked about this before. Yeah. Well, um, the thing where he throws the sword in twice. Well, and, and like I said, Nicole Williamson's Merlin is just a goofball. What? Get out of the movie. Go be in a different movie, weirdo. A dream to some. A nightmare. Ugh. Tom. That's his- exactly. Exactly. Kelly Wan. Too late. He says a lot of funny shit. He's cool. So there are movies of this, but uh, Titus Andronicus is arguably a rape-revenge story. Yeah, I was thinking about that, but whenever I bring up plays, you're usually like, that's a play. Yeah, good point. All right, Uh fair enough. Because I thought about Dangerous Liaisons as well. No one brought up Nocturnal Animals. (laughs) (laughs) My mom just tried to watch that, so... Tried? I go... I go, you won't make it through the crowd. I go, no one likes it. She goes, oh, I'm looking forward to it. I go, I bet, I t- I'm 10 bucks, you don't make it 10 minutes in. And then the next day, she just looked at me like, yeah, about seven minutes. Yeah, well, she had to get to another screening of Logan Lucky. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, and also during the Game of Thrones finale. I never mind, I'll tell you later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kelly wants going off the reservation quick. Are the runners up, or are we ready for next uh, week? So, Rosemary's Baby. Oh, that's a great one. That's a great one. Polanski, uh, of course. Who more qualified to write about sexual assault? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Uh, and the the male rape that I was talking about earlier, Kelly, that uh, seems the obvious one to me is Pulp Fiction. Oh, yeah. I thought you were talking about Disclosure. No, I was talking about Pulp Fiction. Oh, uh, yeah. No, that's a great one. That's harsh. It's revenge, too. I don't know. It's Pulp Fiction. What are you going to do? Motherfuckers, Samoan. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Singus, did you make it to the end of Nocturnal Animals? I didn't make it. I, I haven't watched it. Oh, I haven't watched that. Thing I like about it. You like Wait, that Dingus no. hasn't watched it? That's the one thing you like about it. No, uh, the ending of right. Nocturnal right. Well, in the ways it I like, like uh, the, and what it does with with rape, like its whole yeah. approach to rape and how it's built into the structure of the movie and how it plays on expectations. Uh, I'm not crazy about the movie, but I really admire its structure and how it. Right. I think it's ultimately a little facile as far as like actually being about rape, but the way it uses it is unique. Uh, and and I especially recommend it to anyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not for dingus, but especially like as an entry in the rape revenge exploitation genre. It's an Tom Ford. Yeah, exactly. Tom Ford, I, I think has the right idea. Um, yeah. He's a thoughtful I was, man. I was surprised that Tom didn't bring up Chinatown this time. Uh, mm-hmm. You mean the, the fact that the incest, the, like what, what Noah, uh, Noah Taylor, what uh, John Houston does. Yeah. That's assault. 
Well, you don't see it. It's not in the movie. Uh, I mean, it's something that happens, but right. I think you see it. Uh, and yeah, yeah I, I mean, that's. Yeah, I, so yeah, yeah, that's just weird and gross, but you don't. For, fortunately, Roman Plansky does not show us that. And the, the whole bit in uh, Rosemary's Baby, it's like this weird dream sequence that. Yeah. That doesn't. It's it looks boat. like a. Yeah, but it looks like a perfume commercial now. Like, I don't know what he was thinking. <laughs> it's funny how the, the language that Roman Polanski used to show a freaky dream sequence back in the, the 74 or whatever is was appropriate. 68. Six, wow. Well, there you go. Was appropriated by perfume commercials. Yeah. <laughs> it's really weird to watch. There's this oh, maybe weird, not so weird. There's this weird scene in Unlocked where, like, it, there's an interrogation scene in a dark room where like light is shining down over another character that reminds me of what you're saying. It looks like something from an eighties music video. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys ready for next week's three by three? Yeah. Am I? So we just had uh, hurricane Irma smack into Florida. It wasn't as bad as it could have been, but it was still bad. Uh, before that we had, um, Harvey, Harvey uh, hit Texas. Um, say. So rather than do disaster movies, what I want from you guys are your favorite natural disasters in movies that are not about natural disasters. So <laughs> if, if the movie is called Sharknado, nope, can't use that. If the movie is called Earthquake or 2012 or Volcano or Dante's Peak, whatever, the movie can't be about natural disasters. The movie has to be about something else. And I will remind you, Natural disasters, they don't include plane wrecks or ships being flipped upside down or burning skyscrapers or the deep water horizon. Not natural disasters. I want what about asteroids the size of Texas? Kelly Wan, why don't you save it for your 3 by 3 Well, that's about that, isn't it? I would argue that Just Armageddon, as you might infer from the title, is about a natural disaster. Yeah. Just, just, just my theory. You know what? But, Try it though, and see if you can get away with it. If the cops pull you over, I don't know. Isn't is Armageddon a biblical term though, or it's not natural, or it's an apocalypse kind of thing? Right. It's like a big old battle on the plains. Is that a natural disaster? Um, you know what, Kelly? Watt, if you can find a movie that is about that, well, you know what? Bring up that. What's that Christopher Walken movie where he's an angel? Communion. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't there some Christopher Walken movie where he plays angels? Michael. It's like Julian Sands and Warlock, but it's Christopher Walken being a weird. The prophecy. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right, that's what I'm thinking of. Now these are these are movies that are that's, that's about. But these are these are movies that are not about a natural disaster, but that have one in them. And I don't necessarily want this to be your favorite movie. I want it to be one of your favorite natural disasters in the movie that's not about the natural disaster. If you're listening and you're like, I know what Tom is talking about, Kelly, you're being silly. <laughs> that's uh-huh. what Ed. Send your picks to 3x3 at quarter2three.com. You have to write out quarter to three in words. Uh, we'd love to read those on the air. Similarly, we will not be seeing it next week because it doesn't open in Germany where Kelly Wan lives. Thanks, Angela Merkel. Nice <laughs> However, we'll be seeing Mother, the Darren Aronofsky movie. So that will be our podcast for next week, followed by a three by three of natural disasters in movies that aren't about Natural disasters. Join me for that. I will be here with Christian Murkowski. It's Christian Murkowski. And Kelly Wand. What if my parents had named me Juan? (laughs) 
Juan Wand. I prefer that we be more capable and prepared than lucky. Observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have, what, eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Aurigai 6? Is that a question, yes, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. I'll just keep saying dumb shit till you crack. <laughs>